Hello, it's 20th of April 2019 and this is episode 99 of Scavenger's Horde, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. We're here to deliver a regular rundown of Star Wars news, analysis and commentary with a focus on the sequel trilogy and the future of the saga. Have you been recovering from celebration well, Rachel? <laughs> uh, I feel mostly recovered at this point. Um, I still feel like I haven't been able to process everything. Like, basically everything beyond the nine stuff is sort of bust for me at this point. Apart from the panels we actually directly attended. We'll go into this more later on, but yeah, there's certain things, like the Mandalorian stuff, the Galaxy's Edge stuff, where I feel, like, barely aware of what was discussed. So I need to look into that properly at some point. Um... But yeah, mostly I feel well and I'm over the jet lag and stuff, which is always important when you're returning from an international holiday. So yeah, I feel pretty good. How about you, Kirsty? Um, Mostly good. Getting back to work was a bit of an adjustment. And just in general, like I had an amazing time at Celebration. It was so much fun meeting a lot of people who we'd already met before and also new people. Yes, um, definitely. And yeah, it was great to attend the panels that we did. But... <laughs> Doing all of that stuff as I'm approaching my third trimester was a challenge in some ways. Um, sure. Because there's there's always something going on and you have to force yourself to rest when you really don't want to because, you know, there's exciting things happening in the evening and, like, you want to go to every panel possible. Um, yeah. So you just kind of have to do as much as you can safely but take care of yourself too, so. Yeah. You had yeah. a bit of the old FOMO, didn't you? Yeah, you know, it's funny because it's like we were there. So I already, you know, we we are very lucky that we were able to attend and go to as much as we did. Um, sure. But there's always something else going on that you're like, oh, I wish I could go to that. Or, oh, we had tickets for this thing, but actually I don't feel up to going. Sure. And that's always hard because then you feel like you're wasting money and stuff. But mm. overall, a really great experience. Yeah, no, 100%. And I'd like to echo what Kirsty said about being able to meet people, especially like the people who listen to the show. Like, I, I seriously, I was shocked by how many people came up to us and said that they really enjoyed the podcast and thanking us for it. It was really moving because it's very easy to lose sight of that when you're just doing a casual amateur thing from your bedroom, which is what this is pretty much. Um, yeah, so it was really, really lovely. And thank you so much to everyone who approached us at Celebration. I feel like I wasn't able to have a proper chat with many of you because it was always so hectic and there was so much going on at the same time. But I really did appreciate it. So thank you to everyone who came up. And yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah, and it's really lovely to meet your favourite podcasters too um, and other people in fandom who do so much work and obviously it's fun too but like you just want to meet them and thank them for their contributions like for me a big highlight was meeting Slimo mm. she was so lovely and I, I knew she would be obviously we've talked before but it's just like you just want to meet these people and thank them for everything they do because yes. she she enriches our fandom experience so much and, yeah. and you want to make sure people are aware of that so yeah no it's lovely to meet Slimo and she was just the sweetest person so yeah Oh my god, it's so surreal to me that we even met all these people. Like, it was obviously, I just know the Avatar, basically. <laughs> and you're like, wow, the Avatar has a real living, breathing person behind it. Crazy! <laughs> but in a really cool way. So, yeah, it was awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Yes, so we'll be talking much more about our celebration experience later on. But for now, we want to start with something that broke just before celebration because it's a very interesting and in-depth long-form interview with J.J. Abrams. So he was interviewed by Fast Company. I sense it's some sort of like business magazine. <laughs> yes, Would it you is. Say that? Okay, cool. Is it quite a big deal in America? Like, uh, I wouldn't say it's a big deal, but I was aware of it. Like, Okay, you know. cool. I'm glad you have context <laughs> for it. Um, but yeah, there's lots of talking about like corporate stuff and how he runs his business and his approach to business and stuff. There's also lots of cool, interesting Star Wars stuff that provides a lot of interesting insights into, yeah, like what his approach was and what his mindset was, especially with regards to coming back for Nine. So, yeah, I was wondering if we could start off with the first quote I've highlighted. So they ask, how did it feel when you were suddenly brought on to direct episode Nine after Colin Trevorrow departed while the film was still in development? JJ, I wasn't supposed to be there. I wasn't the guy, you know? I was working on some other things and I had something else that I was assuming would be the next project if we'd be so lucky. And then Kathy Kennedy called and said, would you really seriously consider coming aboard? And once that started, it all happened pretty quickly. The whole thing was a crazy leap of faith. And there was an actual moment when I nearly said, no, I'm not going to do this. I was trepidatious to begin with, getting involved, because I love Star Wars so much and felt like it was... It was almost on a personal level a dangerous thing to get too close to something that you care too, that much about. And yet, with Force Awakens, I feel like we managed to introduce these new characters, for some people, new actors, and continue a story in a way that I thought had heart and humanity and humour and surprise. Though of course I'm aware that there are critics of that movie, it felt to me like we dodged a bullet. Like we got in there, we got to do something. And I left loving Star Wars as much as I did when I got there. Like, somehow, it was on a personal, selfish level, something I was really happy to have done. Not just excited about doing, but happy to have done. And it goes on, but this is such a long-form interview that I would just recommend that people read it themselves. Um, we've just got a few passages that we're highlighting to discuss. Um, yeah. But I liked this because I felt like JJ was being pretty honest about how he wasn't entirely sure that he should do Nine, because... yeah. You know, it kind of reminds me of some of the comments that Mark Hamill's given about, um, you know, the original trilogy and how they caught lightning in a bottle and how it's always a bit of a gamble to come back and do something else in case you sort of ruin what came before. Yeah. Um, and JJ was so pleased with what he'd done with the first chapter that if he come, came back, especially under such rushed circumstances, it might not end up being something that he was totally happy with. But it sounds like in hindsight that he is pretty happy with what he's done for Nine, so. Yeah. No, I really like it because I think JJ is the sort of guy who can come across as very corporate and very much like this big mega producer. But I sense there's something quite honest and genuine coming through here in terms of his enthusiasm for it and his passion. And I love that his sentiments on The Force Awakens echo so much how I personally responded to that film. Because... For me, I did very much feel all those things that he highlights about the heart and the humanity and the humour and the surprise. So I know that for some people that movie is like, oh, it's a retread of A New Hope. But for me, no, it was all about those new characters, those new relationships. So I really value seeing JJ reiterate that that was for him what he loved most about the experience of doing The Force Awakens and that 
having that experience on that film is what made him want to come back for nine because I think he's going to bring the same sensibility to it. Yeah, I I feel like um, the stuff around the criticism for The Force Awakens being too similar to A New Hope, that's probably something that Abrams is going to end up revisiting a lot in interviews. Um, yes. Because it's kind of a good way to explain what he was trying to do there, even if it's self-evident to us. Uh, apparently it wasn't to everyone. So yeah, um, sure. he has to like set the record straight in terms of being like, yes, of course there are going to be some similarities because it's the first act of a hero's journey in a coming-of-age fairy tale. And it's within that same universe. So there are going to be elements that come across similarly. There are going to be certain visual symbols that signify certain moments in a character's life. Yeah. Um, desert planet, that sort of thing. But Ray is not Luke, so yeah exactly um, yeah so maybe he'll end up exploring those things even more i know though i think it was one of the josh horowitz interviews that he did at celebration i think that was one of the moments that he addressed that too yeah no he definitely talked about tfa in the response to that like in that junket and i felt bad for him <laughs> but yeah we could probably talk about that a bit more and when we get to the celebration stuff um yep so then he goes on to mention about then he goes on to talk about the experience of working with chris terrio who's his co-writer on the script for episode nine and he says i needed to work with someone who would scream at the prospect of working on star wars because i had been through the process and i was looking at brass tacks this is what it's going to take this is the reality of it and he was looking at it sort of childlike oh my god i can't believe we get to play in this world which i needed to be reminded of I needed that point of view because that's not where I was. Of course I was excited about what we could do, but but I was acutely aware of how little time we had to do a fairly enormous job. I think this speaks to JJ's role as a producer as well, that it's probably quite hard for him to get away from that stuff and just focus on the creative aspects at one yeah. time. Um, 100%. So, so he needs those those people around him to remind him that that's the magic and that's what you should be focusing on at this point in the story. Obviously, there's lots of logistical, organisational stuff that you need to pay attention to as well, especially since they were under a time crunch having the movie's you know release date already announced and everything. They were kind of working backwards in that regard. Yeah. But, but to bring someone in who was so excited, it's probably good to have someone like that. Um because, I mean, for The Force Awakens, he was working with Lawrence Kasdan, who'd done Star Wars before, and he was already working on Solo at that point. So, very different approaches. Absolutely, yeah. And reading this makes me excited to see what Chris is going to bring to it that's different. Because, as you pointed out, Lawrence Kasdan was obviously a veteran. He'd worked on Empire and Return of the Jedi. Whereas Chris Terrio, I'm sure he's a new, he's a big fan of Star Wars, as JJ suggests in this comment, but he hasn't like officially worked on a Star Wars project before, and I like that they're introducing that fresh blood and that fresh perspective for this final film in the saga, because I might be reading too much into it, but it does again say to me that they want something that's going to be a new start as much as it's an end to this saga that they've been building towards for 40 years mm. got to say and i'm going to try not to be too negative throughout this episode whenever something comes up that i am like a little mm, about yeah i think but... i know what you're going to say Go on. <laughs> i'm just quietly skeptical about chris terrio i hope that i will be proven wrong i hope that right. i'll be wowed by the script um, yeah 
and it obviously it's him and JJ working together it's not just him by himself but uh yeah I, I want to be pleasantly surprised that's all I'll say yeah no I know what you mean I I feel a little bad for Chris Terrio because obviously he was working on all the DC films and those films <laughs> um they're not pinnacles of screenwriting excellence but I'm also reluctant to place too much blame on him for those films because I think they were ruined by many, many elements and I don't think the screenwriting can really be blamed for that. Um, And yeah, I trust JJ to keep a firm hand on things and I think that's what was missing from the other big budget Hollywood movies that Chris Terrio has worked on, like a firm, stable hand controlling the project. So I think JJ is going to provide that, which is what the other Chris Terrio scripts did not have and therefore they were distorted and messed up beyond all recognition. Well, I think I'm just curious to know how JJ chose to work with him. Yes. Did he have other choices that didn't pan out? You know what I mean? Like, we'll probably never get the full story. It's a good question. I I would love to see Chris Terrio get interviewed and I'm sure he will. And hopefully one of the first questions he'll be asked is how were you first involved in this project? Because I want to see the answer to that because it's always felt a bit random. But yeah, who knows? I hate to say it, but the reality is probably just that he had the right contacts and he knew the right people to have that conversation with JJ, which is depressing, but Mm. probably the truth. Mm. White Um, men in Hollywood. Classic. I know, shocking. That's what I thought you were going to say, actually. I thought you were going to say, hmm, I'd prefer the pers- new perspective being injected. Was that of a woman or a person oh, of colour? Uh, yeah. Which I, I, I would have 100% wanted as well. <laughs> I would say that I I would hope that that would be kind of... I, I don't even need to say that because we've had that conversation many times before. Sure, yeah. I am super excited and I hope that we get a lot of interviews with Victoria Mahoney. Yes. Um, but we'll see. Um, but yes, of course, if I had my way, I would love to have a female writer or a writer of colour. But mm. that's not what happened. Um, so These white men got to look out for each other, Kirsty. Oh yeah, if they don't, who else will? <laughs> the ginocracy will rise. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. no. so we'll, we'll just see. And like I said, I hope that I will be impressed. I don't want it to fail. So... I, I want his writing to be good but so far yeah. there's even Argo which as a movie you know it's fine um, yeah sure there's nothing I've seen from this writer so far for me to be super confident so yeah obviously JJ sees something that I don't so yeah no exactly it's probably someone who he knew could get the job done in a very short amount of time mm. which again goes back to knowing <laughs> the right people to have those conversations um, but yeah, hopefully he also happens to be really good. Let's find out. <laughs> <laughs> we will see. Okay. Um, yep. And then there's a quote where JJ goes on to talk about how he furthered the story. So picking up from what he'd done in seven and obviously picking up from what Ryan did with eight. Would you care to read that bit out, Kirsty? Mm-hmm. I had some gut instincts about where the story would have gone. But without getting in the weeds on episode 8, that was a story that Ryan wrote and was telling based on 7 before we met. So he was taking the thing in another direction. So we also had to respond to episode 8. So our movie was not just following what we had started, it was following what we had started and then had been advanced by someone else. So there was that. And finally, it was resolving 9 movies. 
while there are some threads of larger ideas and some big picture things that had been conceived decades ago, and a lot of ideas that Lawrence Kasdan and I had when we were doing episode 7, the lack of absolute inevitability, the lack of a complete structure for this thing, given the way it was being run, was an enormous challenge. However, to answer your question, truly, finally, now that I'm back, the difference is I feel like we might have done it. Like I actually feel like this crazy challenge that could have been a wildly uncomfortable contortion of ideas and a kind of shoving in of answers and band-aids and bridges and things that would have felt messy. Strangely, we were sort of relentless and almost unbearably disciplined about the story and forcing ourselves to question and answer some fundamental things that at the beginning I absolutely had no clue how we would begin to address. I feel like we've gotten to a place, without jinxing anything or sounding more confident than I deserve to be, I feel like we're in a place where we might have something incredibly special. So I feel relief being home, and I feel gratitude that I got to do it. And more than anything, I'm excited about what I think we might have. It's a very interesting quote, and there's a lot going on in that. (laughs) Um, I really like what he's saying here, because, again, as I've said before, I like the honesty inherent in what he's saying in terms of he's not like lying he's not pretending oh yeah we had this master plan all along and now that Ryan's gone I dusted it off and we've returned to the master plan I like it being like yeah there wasn't like a fixed plan as such there were lots of ideas floating around but there was nothing predetermined that we had to follow Hmm. I think there are some things that were predetermined though judging by that teaser yeah like (laughs) I think there were perhaps like a few targets to hit in terms of we want to do these things before the trilogy is done but I think what he's talking about is in terms of not having like any sort of script or outline oh of course yeah Yeah. I think yeah I think the story group and Kathleen Kennedy have had certain things that they've been working on for a really long time that then when they met with JJ would say this is where we want to go how do you think we should do it yes um, and I and I don't think that's just limited to the Palpatine thing. So no, I think there's more going on than that as well. We know, for example, that Adam Driver has said there was one thing that they were working towards with that character, a specific thing, and I want to know what that thing is once Nine is done, <laughs> and see how they executed that. Bender. <coughs> <'Cause... laughs> hmm, could it be? Uh, yeah, uh, that's my, also my suspicion. But yeah, things like that, basically. They've probably always been there, percolating in the background and always meant to come to fruition in this final film. It's just about figuring out, okay, so how do we actually achieve this through the story of this film? I think that was the challenge that he had to face. And I like that he feels so enthusiastic and thinks, yeah, we might have done this, guys. Like, so again, I think as much as J.J. Abrams can be humble, I think he's been humble in terms of how he approaches this. Because he is saying that he thinks he's done it, but he's also saying, don't want to jinx it, don't want to jinx it, which I appreciate. Well, and of course, they're not entirely finished with it yet. A huge of course, part of yeah. the movie will come together in editing, so. Yeah. I mean, going back to the teaser again, it'll be interesting to see how much of that actually does show up in the movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which will be quite the experience to discover but yeah like i really like how jj expresses himself in a long form interview like this and i really hope we get more of this style of interview because i think we're going to talk briefly about the junket interviews later on and they're much less satisfying to put it mildly so yeah well i think he's just given more freedom to take a question and run with it in whatever direction he wants to 
in this yes. kind of thing and it might be somewhere that the interviewer didn't expect it to go but for a junket it's very pointed you know almost like a quippy one-liner thing and yeah. I think they're a lot more nervous as well because it's like I'm aware that this stuff is going to be turned into clickbaity headlines and potentially misleading things and it's just very easy for them to misspeak or like for something to be taken out of context etc but for this I think he's given a lot more freedom and as a storyteller this is the kind of stuff you want to experience because then you're able to actually share what you find most important yeah. um, and even though he's obviously not He's not talking about episode nine in terms of its story directly here, but I still felt like I got a good impression of what JJ values in storytelling. Um, I mean, this next part, you know, he it kind of reminded me of some of the things I already knew about him because, again, coming back to things that Adam Driver said in the past when he was first approached about the role, um, when he first met JJ, it was very much... He, he kept saying, I think, he said something like, it was about character, not spectacle. Yes. So yes, Star Wars has lots of amazing special effects and pew-pew and it's all very exciting and all the planet locations and everything. That wasn't what drew Adam to deciding to take the role. Yeah. It was the character and what he'd been told about his arc. So Exactly. Yeah. I That encourages me. Same. Yeah, I'll read out the quote in question that stresses JJ's values in relation to storytelling. So he says, but I feel like the one thing I'd like each of the projects we work on to have is an element of, ooh, of not, how did you do that necessarily? Because I know there won't be a visual spectacle to the Tab and Tony movie, but there might be a really unexpected and poignant heart to it. And there might be a point of view that you haven't seen. And it might not be a science fiction visual effects thing. It might be an incredibly personal and true emotional thing. I just know that when I was a kid, I saw the Charles Lawton Hunchback of Notre Dame, and half of me fucking loved Lawton and his makeup and the feeling of this kind of mysterious Quasimodo character, but 51% of me was heartbroken by the love story and just swept up by the passion of it and the tragedy of it. And yeah, as you were saying, Kirsty, I love that because that shows to me that JJ values the things, the same things in storytelling that I value, which is value in the story and the emotions that that story can inspire in you and yeah god I love that version of Hunchback of Notre Dame so I was psyched as hell when I saw JJ bring that up it's like you have taste sir I respect that <laughs> it's very yeah good. and he goes on to talk about other he includes Star Wars and like other sci-fi movies that he loved as growing up and stuff like that but to again emphasize that it's equal parts like fantastical like wow this is not of this earth it's something that's so unfamiliar and strange and exciting but at yeah. the core of the story it is very relatable and emotionally resonates with us and that's why we love star wars so much at least like yep. why we love star wars so much yeah 100 um, so it's encouraging to see that from jj and I do feel like that was reflected in The Force Awakens and it just makes me so much more curious to hear him talk about The Last Jedi in depth. Yeah, I know it same. Was, he obviously briefly alluded to it in the panel and saying that the thing that he was most grateful to Ryan for was casting Kelly Marie. But in terms of the overall story and how that seems to be a very personal story for Ryan and has a lot of emotion at its centre, yeah. I, I would love to hear more about what JJ thinks of that. Same. 
Yeah, like what I'd really, really love is, you know, magazines like V Magazine, they do interviews where celebrities interview each other. I'd love to see Ryan and JJ interview each other. That would be amazing. That was the one, I think, that just before The Last Jedi, they did the Adam and Daisy interview together. Yeah, exactly. So something like that with Ryan and JJ, please. That would be my dream. (laughs) Right, I think we've said all we want to say now about the JJ Fast Company interview. So we will move on to talk about our celebration experience a bit more. So what we wanted to start off with was just running down our top five panels of the convention. There are a few other panels that we went to see that we might like mention a bit at the end, but we wanted to focus on the real highlights for us. I was going to start at number five, which is the Sky Talkers live podcast, which followed immediately on from the episode nine trailer and panel so yeah they had quite a task to follow on from that because yeah what else can you talk about under those circumstances you can really only talk about the trailer but I think they did a great job yeah would you like to talk about the um experience of that panel Kirsty? yeah well first I'm really glad that we we made it in there because yes. we were coming out of a streaming stage that was right next to it just speaking generally I am not great with directions so the convention center was really hard to navigate I'm so glad that I had you to help me most of the time because I was like wait where's this place again Um, I had a head start so that yeah true the podcast stage and then the twin sons streaming stage that we were in for episode nine was really tucked away and it wasn't very clear how to get there from the main area um but it meant that it was relatively quick for us to make it in so I'm glad that we got there in good time and I just really loved seeing Charlotte and Caitlin talk in person because I listen to their show every week. It's one of my favourite podcasts. Yeah. And they did a really great job. I've listened to it again since getting home um, because uh, when you're in person, you're always kind of like miss some things or... Yeah, it was just like we were still processing <laughs> what we'd just seen. So yes. things are going to kind of pass you by. Um, but they did a fantastic job talking off the cuff about what we'd all just seen. And it's a really of-the-moment reaction um, because the one we ended up recording was like that night when we were exhausted and theirs was, you know, right then. It was an immediate yeah. reaction, probably the most immediate reaction you could get. So I think they even start the show off with them watching it and like you hearing their excitement. Um, yeah, it was really wonderful. I'm really glad we got to see that. Yeah, that was a really electric atmosphere and it was really cool to see the type of audience they had as well. So it was a lovely mix of people who had already listened to Sky Talkers, as well as people who clearly hadn't. And they were still like getting really interactive and were really enthusiastic about hearing that dialogue about the trailer and what everything might mean. And it was so, so cool to have that first response to the trailer with other fans around you. It was really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, these podcast stages are a really great way for people to discover things that they haven't already so we were talking with i think yeah we were talking with charlotte afterwards and a guy came up and was like i really loved your show um where do i find you like i want to keep listening to you guys so yeah just goes to show that when people are exposed to different corners of fandom that they might not be familiar with it's like oh this was actually really interesting yeah um and theirs is a great example so very happy for them that that went well 100 percent Uh, Yep, and then the next one is a panel on the changing roles of women in Star Wars. Um, And this one was on the university stage. Is that right, Kirsty? Yeah. 
Yeah, so it was on the university stage. It was run by a group of women who sort of represented a range of generations across the fandom. Did they say they were from a 501st group in New York? I was trying to find out exactly who they were, but... I think it might have been Sabre Guild. Sabre Guild, yeah, I think you're right. I can't remember, and I didn't recognise... I I think a couple of them had online presences, but I didn't recognise... Didn't recognise them from Twitter. Um, But... Yeah, the panel was really interesting because it was like a... They were working chronologically, so they started talking about the original trilogy and how, aside from Leia, there really aren't very many speaking roles for women, as we all know. Um, But what Leia meant to them growing up and then going through the prequels with Padme and then characters like Ahsoka and then, of course, ending up with Rose Tico and Rey. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, like, I always want to hear... (laughs) women talking about what female characters mean to them so yeah it's really well done exactly it was kind of like a good potted history because it was nothing that was startlingly new like i think the stuff that you and i had probably heard before kirsty for the most part but it was still really nice to hear it all delivered in such a concise and clear-headed way and i was also really heartened to just see a packed room as the audience to that panel because it's like I'm really glad that there is so much interest in this topic and so much enthusiasm for it because people were really getting into it and yeah it was just a lovely electric atmosphere which I appreciated um right then the next one is the Doug Chang panel on designing episode one which I thought was really cool this felt like one where well this is like a proper high spec professional level panel and Doug did such a great, great job of discussing his process and the creative elements that go into the design of the prequels. And yeah, it was just wonderful to hear him speak because he was really compelling and made everything really interesting and worth listening to. Yeah, he was very humble. And I really appreciated that what he was showing us a lot of the time were the rejected designs or things that ended up not quite working, but led to other things that fit into the films wonderfully yeah so you could see the process and how hard he worked um along with the rest of his team on making episode one look so distinctive because of course coming into that like before now we have the hindsight of understanding what the prequels were about what george was trying to do why they looked so different from star wars yes but if you're coming into a project thinking you're working on star wars you're going to be coming into it from the perspective of okay i'm going to be doing stuff in the vein of ralph Macquarie. yeah um the original trilogy is so visually distinctive has such a clear aesthetic that the prequels are very different and to kind of work from scratch on that must have been incredibly difficult but they did it and it looked amazing so exactly and it was really cool to hear him talk about george's scoring system where the top mark for a piece of concept art was fabuloso um, (laughs) which i thought was really delightful and today I got very, very lucky because in a charity shop, I found a copy of The Art of Revenge of the Sith by J.W. Rinsler. And it's so much fun reading that book now with the added hindsight of Doug's panel because it also refers to that scoring system. And it's like, wow, I feel like I have so much context for this now. It's <laughs> really cool. So, yeah. And just seeing like how much George's creativity was driven by the art that also was really illuminating to me so I hadn't quite realized that because yeah it really comes across that sometimes George would 
develop story elements after seeing a really cool design and it's like wow yeah of course it works like that when you think about it it makes complete sense but I don't think that's an assumption that you come to concept art with basically you don't think of the concept art as driving the story to some extent Mm -hmm. yeah he was really emphasizing simplicity um and intuitiveness as well because um doug mentioned that george has something called the three second rule which is that if you're designing something that yes looks fantastical and out of this world you still need to very quickly be able to figure out what it does and how it functions um, to understand how it fits into the story and why it would be designed a certain way. Yes. Um, so something might look very impressive, but if it has an overly confusing or intricate design that George is like, well, what's the front? What's the back? What is this object for? Yeah. Um, then it's going to ultimately fail and not do what you need it to do for the story. So Yeah. Yeah, I would highly recommend if people weren't at Celebration and haven't had time to check out that panel yet to look it up online. Doug's a fantastic speaker. A hundred percent. Is it one of the ones that was put up on the Stars YouTube? I'm pretty sure, yeah. Nice. That's really cool. Right. Okay, and then we get to our second choice, and this might be where things get slightly controversial and leave people wondering, what on earth will their first choice be? Uh, (laughs) Yeah, we'll explain it. (laughs) We will explain it. But our second choice is the episode nine panel. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get us wrong. We were super excited about this panel. We were very happy that we got into one of the streaming stages and it was a really great atmosphere where we were surrounded by friends who were just as excited as we were. Yes. Um, but the nature of these things is that they can't tell us too much in the end, right? Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, I was just saying to Rachel before we started recording the show, I'll have to go back and watch The Last Jedi's one, like you suggested, because I do feel like they were still able to tell us a little more about the dynamics between the characters at that point, because I have a distinct memory of Daisy Ridley saying something like, don't meet your heroes. Right, that, that, yeah. You know, that's central to the story that Rey is going to be kind of let down or surprised in some way as to how Luke Skywalker reacts to her showing up on the island uninvited. So at yeah. least that gave us like a premise. It gave us a look into what their dynamic might be, even if it evolves from there. Um, they are being super secretive about episode nine. And I was very, very excited to see Stephen Colbert. I'm a huge fan of his, but I really felt for him because I don't know who picked the questions, if he was able to write them and then Lucasfilm approved them or if he had anything to do with that at all. But like a lot of what he was asking he wasn't really getting any responses. Yeah. Um, and what he did ask that got responses was, you know, fluffy stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, silly stuff like making fun of... Well, not making fun of, not in a mean way, but like, you know, giggling about Kylo Ren being shirtless, stuff like that, <laughs> which is obviously abusing. Yeah, sure. But, yeah, it doesn't uh, give us too many insights into episode nine. Apart exactly. from Daisy saying that he's probably not going to be half naked in that one. <laughs> Sad times. <laughs> Yes, it's all like the strongest moments of the nine panel or the ones that were the most substance free in terms of actually talking about the film. Like it was really heartwarming to hear Naomi Aki talk about her story about finding out she'd got the part and like having her best friend in the house and her dad and her dad realising what it was about but having to keep it a secret from her best friend. That was adorable. And Kelly Marie's standing ovation. Yes, exactly. Everything surrounding Kelly at that panel I thought was really lovely. I'm really well judged um, because I feel like she got some of the most enthusiastic responses out of anyone, which was really lovely to see after everything that she's had to deal with. 
And God, I loved seeing her in nine. <laughs> it's like she's real. Rose Chico <laughs> in nine is real. So yeah, that made me happy. Um, and also there was the great moment where JJ thanked Ryan for the, some of the choices he made in The Last Jedi, especially Kelly, which, yeah, again, I appreciate. I totally understand what you're saying, Kirsty, and I also want to hear a more in-depth discussion about, okay, what does that mean? What do you actually make of these specific creative choices and the storytelling that Ryan pulled off in that film? I want to hear that, and hopefully we will at some point further down the road. But I felt like it was a decent start. I just want to see them follow through with it. Yeah. Um, and of course we got the teaser itself, which we're going to go into into more depth later. Um, but yeah, I think it was just because, and when you know, we'll talk about that our favourite panel was very different because the people on the panel were able to speak about their story much more freely. And yes. there's still so much mystery around the sequel trilogy. Um, so things that kind of have less pressure in that respect are able to be a little more open, which I appreciate. So, Yeah, no, definitely. I think it just becomes a bit frustrating and I don't want to say tedious, but I kind of also do want to say tedious. I mean, I just like, why can't they tell us at this point how big the time jump is? Yeah. Because that in itself doesn't really tell you anything. Yeah. But they're still holding off a bit. So, so like, okay, is there going to be a really good reason for that? Or it's just a case of like staggering things out over the next eight months? Yeah. Exactly. It does become a bit frustrating. It's like, really, guys? Come on. I mean, if, yeah, because at this point, with various leaks and spoilers, it's kind of an open secret anyway. So, unless they yeah. don't realize that. Um, yeah, <laughs> Bless their know. cotton socks. <laughs> <laughs> so, it might not make as many waves as they think it's going to. And without any extra information on top of that, it wouldn't really mean anything anyway. Yeah. No, so. exactly. So, it's a bit of a farce, but. I still enjoyed it. I liked seeing like all these great actors and of course the trailer was amazing for so many reasons and I need to give a shout out to Ian McDermott coming out for the trailer and saying roll it again. Oh he's so good man. I love him so much. Yeah although he then told us later on that the actual laugh that we hear in the teaser isn't new yeah. for this movie. He, he didn't record that especially for Nine or the teaser so like basically what that tells me is we better still get a maniacal palpatine laugh in episode nine otherwise i'm asking for my money back i'd feel so cheated don't know we'll see <laughs> we'll see but yeah he needs to laugh man i don't want any like mopey emo palpatine that's kylo's job so yeah okay so then kirsty would you like to reveal what our number one panel is the resistance Woo! panel Oh my god, that great. room was so electric. Oh, I loved it so much. It was so wonderful. I really needed it as a pick-me-up on that last day because we were all getting pretty tired. Yes. We were like, oh, I feel kind of Star Wars out, which I know is like, oh no, boo-hoo. <laughs> First of all, problems. We're yeah. at Star Wars Celebration and we're getting sick of Star Wars. But, it, you know, <laughs> it was a long convention and we were just like, mm, okay, yeah. excited about this panel. Hopefully they'll show us, you know, an episode from season two, which they did and was amazing. But... On top of that, um, all the stuff that you can watch online, you'll see why it was so fantastic. If you watch that show, you're really invested in those characters. The cast are wonderful. They yeah. have fantastic chemistry and it really came out in their interactions with each other. Yeah, They all talked about what it meant to be in Star Wars, what they loved about their characters and their arcs across the season because everyone had an amazing arc. 
um, and what they can look forward to in season two because it really ends on an interesting note especially with Tam which yeah was really wonderful so yeah I'm super excited about season two yeah same that first episode oh it's so good I, I don't want to go into it too much because I don't want to spoil anything so obviously the vast majority of people will not be able to see it until awesome I guess but wow there's this shot of Tam in a new costume and she looks so so amazing I can't even begin to tell you and they gave us a really wonderful poster for season two as well and just the poster alone is a work of art it's so beautiful Mm -hmm. yeah yeah. and the casting creators just seemed so overwhelmed and surprised that people actually watched their show yeah (laughs) Um, and that we were all so excited about it but it really is a great animated series and fits so well into the sequel trilogy so if you're invested in that and then need something else if you haven't watched it yet but you feel like you need something to tide the time until december it's the perfect thing to watch yeah um you can you can ration it out and then by the time four gets here we'll have season two as well so yeah it's it's really wonderful yeah no this is great and yeah, like I was really pleasantly surprised by just how rapturous the response to the cast and what they showed was. Because with Resistance, it always feels so low-key, especially compared to the chaos and the hysteria surrounding the sequels. So it's easy to forget that, yeah, the show does actually have a really strong and loyal following and people really, really love it. And just feeling that love for Resistance come through. Oh, it touched me. It touched my soul. I loved it. Yeah. And I know I was, you know, being typical me, kind of not letting myself get too excited about one, if they would show us a new episode, but if it was actually going to be any good itself. Like if it was going to be, well, not good, but what I mean is like, if it was going to go right back into the action and before they showed it, they confirmed that yes, season two does start off right where season one ended. So it's not a filler episode. A lot happens. Um... And yeah, I'm really, really excited to see how things are going to evolve now between Tam and Kaz because yeah. there's that separation. Yeah, they've set up such an interesting dynamic with those two. And I really think that, and again, I'm stealing a term from the sequel trilogy here, but I really feel like Kaz and Tam are going to be our co-protagonists going forward. And I couldn't be more happy with that because, yeah, just goals. I love it. <laughs> Right, so now we've talked about our top five highlight panels from the convention. Um, We just wanted to talk a bit about things we missed slash wished we'd been able to attend. So yeah, would you just like to throw a few things out there, Kirsty, that you particularly were like, oh man. Yeah, well, all of this stuff, I think, well, most of it hopefully we'll be able to catch online, but I haven't really had a chance to sit down and watch any panels yet. Yes. Um, So the big one, obviously, even though we're not, going to be ungrateful about it because we still got into a streaming stage and we were still at celebration it's just that we didn't get into the Winterest arena for episode nine so we weren't right there in person with the cast but yes. whatever <laughs> yeah we can survive it we still got the experience and it was still awesome it was just when you're watching all those people in the room you feel the FOMO again very entitled you're already very very privileged and lucky to be there at all but yeah, it's like, so close, yet so far, <laughs> is that sort of feeling. Um, so yeah, like that was definitely something that I think we both felt, although we still are very grateful. Um, 
And yeah, I think for me, probably perhaps more than you, Kirsty, though I'm not sure, do chip in after I've said my bit. Um, I kind of wish I'd got to see the Mandalorian panel just because that's a project I really want to feel more excited for than I am at the moment. And in the version of the panel they streamed online, they didn't show any of the footage that they showed to the attendees who were in the room. And I feel like I'd probably be a lot more hyped for the show if I had been in that room and got to see the footage of a bunch of other excited people. There's going to be lots of other opportunities to get me excited. And there will, of course, be trailers and promos that are released for everyone to watch. But again, that's my big FOMO thing, I think, having missed out on that and knowing I now won't see anything for however many months. But that's my cross to bear and I can certainly bear it. So it's fine. Yeah, I don't think I'm as put out about that as you, but um, I totally get it because I would have been disappointed if I hadn't been able to watch that new episode of Resistance. Sure. So I, yeah. I feel really lucky that I was able to do that. And again, we don't want to rub it in that like people at home had no way of watching this stuff. I mean, I know that the Mandalorian stuff has kind of leaked online in terms of people videoing the footage, but that's not the ideal way to watch this new stuff. It's just a case of that's the best that a lot of us are going to get. So yeah, we've watched it, but we also now don't want to review it because that wouldn't be fair because yeah. it's not going to be as good quality. So Exactly. Yeah. So we basically tried to watch the bootleg footage, but I really don't feel like I can make any judgments or form opinions on the basis of that. It was such poor quality. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'm not even going to touch that. Yeah. So it's just a case of their marketing not being in full swing yet they just wanted to give people that celebration a taste yeah um so just gotta wait and see exactly and there was one smaller panel in particular that you really wish you'd been able to attend don't you Kirsty? yeah it was just a case of not quite being the right time um it was the one that i'd mentioned in our pre-celebration episode um about the holiday special collector's items um because it was on after the sky talkers panel so you know we had episode nine then we had sky talkers then i had a photo i needed to go and take and then we met a bunch of people so that was really great there were loads of people that i really wanted to meet and have wanted to meet for a long time but it meant the time got away from us so then we we ran up to the collector stage but by the time we got there it was full yeah which i'm really happy about to be honest because i was pleasantly surprised to see that it was full. Like, I'm disappointed that we didn't get in, but I love that a niche panel like that is still so in demand. Yeah, exactly. Um, Shows there really is an audience for absolutely everything at Celebration, which is great. So we're still not too familiar with the merch that was available for the holiday special, but I guess we'll learn about it some other time. Yeah, they need to write that up as a blog or something. Um... And yeah, then there was a Katie's Mall panel. Would you like to talk about that too, Kirsty? Yeah, again, I haven't had time to watch it yet, but I plan to. Um, our friend Katie, who's Po Hot Dameron on Twitter, she had an amazingly titled panel called It's a Marvelous Life. <laughs> Darth Maul is one of her favorite Star Wars characters. She has so much passion for him. Unfortunately, it was on at the exact same time as the Resistance Season 2 panel. So we apologized many times that we wouldn't be able to make it um but it sounds like it went really well she's very happy with how it turned out so i need to catch up with that yeah from what i heard it had a really good attendance which is really nice it's great when people show up for that sort of thing Mm -hmm. 
yeah, so I think that's the main things. I feel like we were like, oh, about not being able to attend. Is there anything else that jumps to your mind, Kirsty? Um, not really panel-wise. I mean, there's plenty of stuff, I guess. Like, we didn't make it to that last one on the last day about, like, mythology of Star Wars. Yes, that's right. I don't know about you, but I can't really do more than two or three panels in a day. It gets too tiring, and there's so much other stuff to look at and people to meet and everything. Yeah, I do feel like my eyes start to glaze over past a certain point. And I feel like that then becomes a little bit disrespectful to the people running the panel if you're kind of reaching your phone for your phone because you can't concentrate. Yeah, so. and you don't want to take a seat that someone else could have. Yeah. So um, that aside, again, aside from the panels, there were just so many other experiences. There's There are people we met who I don't want to talk about on the show, but people I didn't expect to meet and have conversations with about their experiences working and writing in Star Wars. Um, which was super unexpected, but in the best way. And I feel like I learned a lot. Um, So yeah, like that's the beauty of celebration. You don't know who you're going to bump into. Yeah, no, I think for me, there were a few author panels that I kind of wish I'd been able to attend. Like there was one with Claudia Gray, for example, where she was talking about making that transition from writing fan fiction to writing professional fiction which sounded really cool and I had a friend Melissa who attended that one and said it was really good um but I think it clashed with something I can't remember what but there was some reason why I couldn't attend um but yeah overall I think they had a really good strong varied program and there really was something for every type of fan so I think they did a really good job the only potential thing is that I think some of the panels they underestimated the demand for them is like we went to the shipping panel and the demand for that was really strong. They could have easily had it on a significantly larger stage because they had to turn away quite a few people. It's funny because we could have told them that that would be incredibly popular. <laughs> yeah. They're like, oh, shipping, that's super niche, right? Uh, <laughs> no, actually. <laughs> yeah. Lots of people care about that. <laughs> yes. And men and women care about it. Yes. Um, I don't know if you caught it. I tweeted about it at the time because I was feeling kind of salty about it. Um because the room was so full and there was obviously a huge line still outside they were asking people like is there any is are you still are you saving seats for people because that's not really okay at this point people might not show up yeah um are are there any boyfriends in the room who don't really want to be here and would be okay giving up their seats i caught that That was not okay to say i know it was probably half joking but also not really and really perpetuates some negative stereotypes of shipping and alienates men who are into shipping and there, there are plenty of them um yeah so yeah i mean what a strange thing to say when one of the panelists is a man yeah <laughs> so yeah so i didn't Ill-judged. really appreciate that but. <laughs> yeah it's awkward um but yeah like so overall very good experience and yeah we we just need a time turner i suppose to attend more and to feel better rested. Uh, yeah, mm. and then the final thing to say about Celebration, I think, is that they have announced a celebration for next year in Anaheim. So I don't think either of us will be able to go to this, but I'm certainly very curious to see what they program and what the big panels will be, so to speak. Yeah, I think I would go, but um, I'm probably going to be a little busy. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah, to put it mildly. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I think I think that choice makes sense i mean if for nothing else so that people can go to galaxy's edge 
yeah, God, the demand for Galaxy's Edge is going to be absolutely insane on that celebration weekend. Can you imagine? Yeah, I'd I'd probably <laughs> avoid it if I could. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be like mental. I want to go, but I'll probably leave it a few years. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, yeah, I mean they haven't announced dates yet, but it might make sense for it to be around April again, just because then the spring break for lots of people. Yes. Um, it's not too hot in Anaheim at that point. It's like that that would be nice weather most yeah. likely um but we'll see yeah and yeah it will be interesting to see what the lineup eventually turns out to be for that because it'll be post sequel trilogy maybe they could have a really cool retrospective on the trilogy and be a lot more open <laughs> about things like design and character development and how early things were in the works and what the themes are because still so much sexy around that stuff yeah 100% god that'd be the dream wouldn't it to finally have open conversations about the decisions made for the sequel trilogy I think it would be nice for the creators too yeah it must get quite frustrating but it's the marketing strategy so but we'll get into that in the next section because we're going to talk about episode 9 exactly in a big way and we're only an hour in (laughs) so yay (laughs) that's not too bad no, it's not too bad. I was thinking it would be much longer than this at this point, to be honest. So I think we're doing quite well. Um, yeah, so this is the point at which we go full tilt towards episode nine. So there are obviously many different facets to cover here. And I guess we should maybe cover this. Yeah, let's just cover it in the way I've laid it out in the notes, even though it's perhaps not the most logical way. Um so the first big thing to talk about is probably that this film now has a title and the title of Star's episode 9 is The Rise of Skywalker. Dun, dun, dun. Which I um, know we're not the only ones. I keep hearing people mistitle it as Rise of the Skywalker. Yes. Because we have Return of and Revenge of and it is it deviates from that pattern so we all have to get used to that yeah the sequel trilogy is all about setting its own pattern which is Mm -hmm. of titles beginning with the word the um (laughs) so very inspiring um but yeah i was like what when i saw the title but i think it was so much caught up amidst this world of other what stuff that i haven't even now really had that much chance to think about it in depth i know there's many many different theories some of them absolutely ludicrous and there's varying degrees of plausibility to each theory essentially do you have any pet theories slash interpretations kirsty um yeah i mean i do think that it relates to ben solo in terms of what his arc across this trilogy will be but i also think that it speaks more generally to the skywalkers as a whole um and how hopefully and i think kathleen kennedy has alluded to this in interviews since that their their story will end on an optimistic hopeful note yes um because i know after the last jedi and there was like confirmation or at least i mean for us it confirms it but other people maybe more suggests that ray is not a skywalker so then that led to a lot of discussions about how maybe the force made a mistake with the skywalkers and this trilogy is about them ending because uh, they have done a lot of damage in the galaxy. They need but to be put I, down. Yeah. That's essentially what some of those theories state, but I don't subscribe to that, and I know you don't either. Yeah. Um, the Skywalkers not. have also done a lot of good. So, kind of like, 
how do we resolve that in a way that feels good and true to the themes of Star Wars, an optimistic fairy tale. Yes. Um, so, you know, I'm excited to see what this will mean for Anakin's story and Luke's and how that ties into his arc in The Last Jedi, which is one of my, it's my favourite Luke story. Yes. Um, and what it will mean for Leia as well. Yeah. No, I definitely think this is going to be a title where there's not going to be a single interpretation. I think it's going to have multiple valid readings, just like The Last Jedi, because I think that in the promo for The Last Jedi, Ryan at one point said that the question of who or what The Last Jedi refers to evolves over the course of the film, which you see most plainly in terms of it starts out with Luke being the last Jedi, and then by the end of the film, Rey is established as the last Jedi. So it's equal parts about both of them. And I expect we're going to see something similar in this title, where I absolutely think it's going to refer to Ben on some level, but I also think it's going to have a wider, more nebulous definition. Like, what do you think about the theories people have been suggesting about Skywalker as a term for, like, a new type of Force user or something? I'm not sure about that. I feel a bit iffy. <laughs> uh, I know that people are getting that from, like, some of the books in terms of, like, Thrawn Alliances. They have the Chiss children who are known as Skywalkers because yeah. they can navigate through hyperspace using the Force and stuff like that. Um, I don't quite buy it. Yeah. I, I would be surprised if they actually did away with the term Jedi because yeah. I, I can see where people are coming from um, because obviously The Last Jedi deals quite a lot with what people like Luke perceive to be the inherent flaws in the Jedi as a religion and as a bureaucratic force um, and then of course you have Kylo Ren saying let the Jedi die, let the Sith die but his position is established in contrast to Rey's who kind of takes a more middle route of Kylo and Luke's philosophies and forges her own path with respect to the past um so yeah i'm not sure that they would like rebrand the jedi or anything especially yeah. as with the skywalker name i'm not sure how that would work yeah so i kind of feel like the whole point of the last jedi in the end is that no the last the jedi do not need to end actually the jedi do still need to exist it's just along with these lessons that have been gathered from the past so yeah i feel like if you follow that reading of The Last Jedi, which I think is pretty overt and clear, then, yeah, Jedi are going to be sticking around. And also from a marketing point of view, it'd be silly to get rid of the Jedi. Like, everyone knows what Jedi is, basically. Yeah, and now Palpatine's back in whatever form he turns out to be in. It's, <laughs> well, the Sith aren't so gone as we thought. Exactly. The Sith are making a comeback for the ages. Yeah, which, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what that will mean for Anakin's story, because depending on how it's executed, I I don't know, I could feel really good about that, and it could not retcon, but, like, address elements of Anakin's story that I felt were maybe lacking or weren't quite explored properly, Yeah, especially after this time and in context of, you know, his grandson going through similar things. Yes. But I don't want it to like cheapen the acts that Anakin did and yeah. the, the sacrifice that he made for Luke. So Yeah. I agree I'm, with you. I'm sure they're being very careful about it. Or at yeah. least I hope so. <laughs> I think we should have a whole spotlight on Palpatine now, to be honest. I feel like that needs to be a thing. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm. He's a character who's appeared in you know full in those two other trilogies, and he is so incredibly important to the Skywalkers and Anakin especially, obviously. Yeah. So the fact that he's back for this movie is very interesting. I'm just thinking that it has to mean that Anakin is back too in some form. You'd think, wouldn't you? I would hope so, because, yeah, again, coming back to it, like, what does that mean for Anakin's story? If this person that he supposedly vanquished from the galaxy stuck around. Yeah, exactly. So I'm very, very, very curious to see how they tackle that one. (laughs) Okay, um, so to move on, let's talk about a few of the comments they made at the panel for episode nine. Um, We're going to brush over most of it because... As we discussed earlier, like 90% of this panel was just complete fluff. Uh, but there are a few quite interesting quotes. The first and only quote from JJ really that we're going to talk about in any depth, because it was definitely the most interesting, is this one. So JJ said, It also needs to work on its own as a movie. This movie is about this new generation and what they've inherited, the light and the dark, and asking the question, as they face the greatest evil, are they prepared? And then Colbert went on to be like, oh, it's so tempting to ask you what the greatest evil is. And then JJ and Kathleen Kennedy were like, oh, we can't say. Oh, it'd be all cute about it. And then obviously in the trailer at the end, it's like, oh, okay, Palpatine. Um, so yeah, it gets answered. But I felt like this was, if not the most significant thing that was said at the panel, definitely one of the most significant things that was said at the panel what do you take away from this comment, Kirsty? Um, it really excited me because while it's not massively revelatory by any means, um, it reminded me that this is the third act of Ray's heroine journey, yes. um, which is metaphorically the integration of masculine and feminine, which is embodied in Star Wars in terms of the light and the dark. Yes. Um, so it repositions Kylo as Ray's animus, as we've talked about many times before. Um, the figure that she understandably rejected at the end of Act 2. So at this point, she knows and understands him, is no longer afraid of him, but they're saying they both still have to develop and transform. And especially in terms of facing the greatest evil, the unsaid thing there, or maybe it's just clearly stated right there in terms of how we're inferring it, they have to work together. Yeah, exactly. So there is something bigger, there is a greater threat. Yeah. No, which is so interesting. And I also like that they're continuing this theme of inheritance because that does say to me that JJ is going to be revisiting some of those ideas that he really stressed in The Force Awakens. And Ryan explored them too, but I think there was a particularly heavy emphasis in The Force Awakens on things like Kylo struggling so much with the legacy of being the grandson of Darth Vader. And Ryan absolutely did that too. But I'm really excited to see how JJ is going to come through on that and how he's going to resolve that struggle and that anxiety over those questions. Because, yeah, I think there's a lot of interest and dramatic potential there. Yes, and and also for Ray, which we got in the teaser more explicitly in terms of Luke talking to her about how a thousand generations are kind of on her shoulders at this point. Yeah. Um, how does she feel about that? Because... Yeah. On the surface, it's probably like, yeah, I, I've got my shit together. <laughs> I know what I'm doing. And obviously she got to a point in the end of The Last Jedi where she felt this confidence finally in her own abilities and that she could be the hero. But I don't think it's going to be as simple as that because we have this third act. 
Yeah. Um, so that's going to be very interesting for Ray's arc as well. Exactly. And you're right about that, actually. It's, it's important to remember that it's not just difficult to deal with that dark legacy. The light legacy also presents many challenges of its own. In some ways, greater challenges because there's that weight of expectation being placed upon you in terms of to be this paragon, to be this like good shining light. And yeah, I like and I'm excited by the thought of the film really engaging with that idea and showing that it's quite a struggle. And how do you balance that? So, yeah, yeah and it, it's an evolution of the story that we saw for Luke in The Last Jedi as well. Yeah. Um, because, you know, seeing him struggle with the dark, I know a lot of fans were confused because it was like, well, this is Luke Skywalker. He doesn't struggle with the dark. He defeated the dark 30 years ago and he's a paragon of the light. Yeah. But that was sort of the point. It was deconstructing that and showing that every day we all have choices to make. We all have that darkness within us. It's so tempting to give in, be selfish. Um so it's a daily struggle whether yeah. you have force powers or not exactly it's definitely not a cakewalk so to speak yeah and then the next thing that we'd like to talk about is that daisy alluded to something interesting about the saber that she will be using in the film would you like to quickly explain what she said Kirsty? yeah so this is just paraphrasing we don't have an exact quote but she was asked about lightsabers and she suggested that at the beginning so she clarified this is the beginning of the story, not all of it. Um, she will have the Skywalker family lightsaber, the blue one that she's been using so far. Um, she says the lightsaber that Rey inherited from Luke Skywalker lives. Um, but the suggestion was that she might get a, la- a new one later on in the movie. Which yes. I, I hope is the case, because that would be really cool for Rey to have her own. Yeah, same. Saber staff. Saber staff. I don't care about what it looks like. I just want Rey to make her own. And, you know, it's an extension of the character in some ways. Oh, yeah. No, I agree with you. And I feel like throughout the whole sequel trilogy so far, she's basically had a hand-me-down. And I would love to see her have her own thing that is just purely associated with her. That'd be really cool. Um, Yep. And then would you like to round us off by just talking about what JJ said about thanking Ryan and like talking about Kelly yeah um so they were asking about Kelly because we got that shot of Rose and Ray talking to each other on the resistance base um and JJ said I was grateful to Ryan Johnson for so many things he did in episode eight and the greatest for me was casting Kelly Marie which was really lovely to hear yeah no it was really sweet like I was pleasantly surprised to be honest by everything with Kelly at the panel because I hate to say it, but the cynical part of me had thought, will she even come? I know, I I didn't expect her to be there. So that was really wonderful. So I really thought that if I were in her shoes, would I want to put myself through it? But I'm so glad she did and that she got such a wonderful reception because it must have been like, yeah, I'm a boss. So yeah, it was great. I Uh, will say, (laughs) maybe this... Maybe this is not going to be super well received, but it's just honestly how I see it sometimes. Um, the fandom like congratulating itself on applauding Kelly is a bit rich, considering the only reason that happens is because she was treated so badly in the first place. Yeah, I know what you it mean. Was, it was the same way with Ahmed Best. It's like, yes, I'm happy that people are so welcoming, but they shouldn't have been treated that way at all. Yeah, I know what you mean. This is kind of like an easy win, isn't it? Because it doesn't really take much to applaud her in person but 
I don't know. It's like how many like actual actions are going to come out from that going forward in terms of like are people actually genuinely sincerely going to be more supportive of Rose and that character going forward you know it's like I don't know it's difficult. Yeah I mean we saw this week that Naomi Aki has made the choice to have a public Instagram account Um, so maybe the fandom has learned its lesson I would hope so. Yeah. Um, and can treat the women of colour in the cast with respect. I really want to think so. Yeah, so we'll see. This fandom really does need to address this shit. Yeah. And it can't, it's not enough to just be like, well, I'm a fan of her, so that's okay. We really do have to speak out against the people who think this is acceptable. Yeah. And I spoke to people who were in that nine panel in person and they heard people talking around them about how they hated The Last Jedi and it's like, oh, so still you think this is the good time to talk about how much you hate Ryan Johnson and how much you hate Rose Tico and like yeah. just shut the fuck up, honestly. Yeah. It was really shitty. It's like no one needs to hear it in that space, to be honest. <sighs> oh, man. Um, but yeah, I really, really, really hope and want it to be a sign of actual positive change for both the fandom and for Rose's character in terms of her having a good strong part in episode 9 and receiving the respect she deserves as a character but we'll obviously have to see how that turns out but at the moment I'd say I'm tentatively optimistic but yeah time will tell we'll get more relatively soon because it's not long until we have the Vanity Fair coverage so we'll see we'll see how the presence of Rose is depicted in that. Yes, exactly. That coverage is usually agonisingly extensive. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, it's not actually agony. Um, (laughs) I enjoy it, but... Yeah, yeah, no, I enjoy it. It's just so much, so much potential for drama. (laughs) True, but it'll also be a lot of fodder for the podcast. So, yay, we have things to talk about again. (laughs) So it's such an alien feeling, but it's also pretty good. I should not be a bitch about it. So, yeah, it's good. Okay. Right, so how do we want to handle these press interviews, Kirsty? Well, yeah, I mean, basically, there were... Of course, after these panels, they then get bombarded by journalists asking some questions. Some yes. of them good, some of them not so good. Yes. Um, and a lot of things, again, they just can't answer. Yes. Um, but we've, we've tried to compile some of the most interesting comments um, some of them didn't actually end up making it into the final coverage that these journalists decided to put out which was interesting because there are some editorial choices there which point to, towards certain theories being possibly more interesting for the fandom at large um, even if they're not interesting to us Yes. so that's our cross to bear <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> So, in terms of things like Ray's parentage, for example, JJ is talking about how this this was with Good Morning America. Um, I will say that we knew going into this that this movie it had to be a satisfying conclusion, and we are well aware that that's one of the things that's sort of been out there. I don't want to say that what happens in episode eight, you know, we have honoured that, um, but I will say that there's more to the story than you see. And then in the actual broadcast version of that, they literally just left in the last bit. And they cut out the bit preceding it about how they've honoured Ryan's story and just left in the bit about, there's more to the story. And it's like, oh, for God's sake. (laughs) So annoying. Yeah. This is what frustrates me because I don't think... 
Uh, well, maybe it's intentional that they want to stoke the fandom flames because that gets some clicks. But yeah. This stuff has been really nasty, and I know it's just about Star Wars, so people on the outside or journalists just doing their job probably think that it's just funny because a bunch of nerds are, like, getting really into this stuff. But this has resulted in actual harassment of Ryan Johnson and the cast. Yeah. So if JJ is saying we're going to respect Ryan's choices, respect his choice to say that and report on it. Yeah. Because that's actually quite important. Yes, it kind of completely places a different colour on it. If you cut out the bit that precedes it, it basically makes it sound like, oh yeah, we're just doing our own thing. We're telling a new story. Yeah, there's more to the story than whatever Ryan did, obviously. It's like, well, yes, there will be more, but what I took away from JJ's response here was that it will come up in some form in the story, but probably more relates to Ray's development in terms of making peace with that. Yeah. Especially if they end up going back to Jakku and we still don't know what that desert planet is. Yeah, exactly, because from what JJ said is in the full version of what he said, that sounds really cool to me and really exciting, because as long as it doesn't, like, oh man, what's the word? Um, What's the name for the word? Oh, retcon. As long as it doesn't completely retcon what Ryan did in The Last Jedi, as long as it does respect that, as JJ is saying he does then I'm really cool with getting more information and more insight into what happened and the circumstances under which Ray was left behind. Because I do still have questions about that and curiosity about that. So I'd love to see that explored. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just feel like there's some really dodgy reporting going on and it's just frustrating to me. Yeah. Oh, wasn't there another thing that made it, that didn't make it into the GMA coverage that Daisy Ridley said? Yeah. So another example of the GMA, perhaps, distortion of things and providing a different picture from what was actually given to them and the questions they asked is that Daisy Ridley told the GMA reporter that the Ray and Kyla relationship is explored in much greater depth in the movie. And that part was completely exercised from the actual broadcast interview again. And it's like, oh, come on, guys. Can't you even put it up on your YouTube channel? Just something, please. And again, it comes back to Daisy not telling us anything else, like, shocking. Like, we would expect that to happen because it's the central relationship. But the choice to omit it is like, wait, what? That is the central relationship. So (laughs) whatever you think about how it will be explored, it's still the question. Yeah. Or one of the questions. So I thought that was just kind of funny because I was so excited to be finally getting to the point where journalists would start asking these questions, you know, only three years too late. (laughs) Um, But they're deemed not important enough to actually include in the final version. So Yeah. It's like... (laughs) Yeah, it's a bit of a bummer, but it is what is. At least we know Daisy said that. So that's cool, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I think what we're doing is we're turning this segment of the podcast into a tirade against iffy journalistic standards. Well, some of it, and then some of them are just, you know, reassuring things that, again, aren't earth-shattering to us, but it's Kathleen Kennedy being asked to describe episode nine in one word. She says hope. Yes. Where it goes and what the resolution is, it's very hopeful. So, you know, there's no grimdark stuff here, guys. It's Star Wars. Yeah. It's the ending to a fairy tale. I must admit to feeling a little bit reassured by that as well. Because 
I don't know, when they kept on emphasising this is the end of the Skywalker saga, you know, my, my mind went to a dark place. Yeah, I mean, you can have an ending to a saga that doesn't mean it ends in tragedy. There can be a ho- hopeful resolution. I think that's why I like this quote so much, because it stresses that that is going to be the note that they're trying for. Because I really do want it to be like a hopeful, optimistic outcome. Because, yeah, like a, a grim dark ending would just feel not Star Wars to me at all. So I'm happy that they're making it clear at this early point that they are going for something optimistic in fairy tale. Hmm. Have some of the theories out there been getting to you, Rachel? <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's all, all okay. It's all good. Um, yeah, and then we have USA Today interviews with Oscar, Daisy and John. Um, and yeah, would you want to read out the whole thing, Cassie, or just the quotes I've highlighted? Um, well, yeah, essentially he's being asked, well, that they are asking all of these new actors um, what's going to be the essence of their story. And obviously they have to talk in very like, vague terms. So in terms of um, Oscar Isaac talking about Poe, He says, he's been a bit of a lone wolf on purpose. That's how he's always kind of viewed himself. He was the one guy alone in that X-Wing, and now he's got some co-pilots. He's got people on his flanks, so it's a new way that we're seeing him. I do wonder how much Oscar knows about Poe's backstory. Obviously, it's not explored in the movies at this point. Um, But yeah, I mean, he had a squadron. He was presumably quite close to, and I'm sure that's explored in the comics of his. So... Yeah, no, I found that quote a bit interesting from Oscar because I always had the impression of him as being a bit of a people person and being like very like outgoing and gregarious and having lots of people around him. And yeah, so it kind of conflicted with my Poe headcanon. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I'll buy it as long as it's justified appropriately in the narrative. And to be mm-hmm. fair, this is probably the sort of thing where it's something he works with as an actor but it probably won't be a big deal in the movie in terms of something that we see explored that much. True. Not everything will be made explicit. Exactly. Um, in terms of Daisy Ridley, um, she says, in t- like regarding the Resistance, it's a really lovely place to be. The feeling on the Resistance base in general is one of hope. So sort of growing up from being alone to being surrounded by people, what a great way to do that. So I am really excited to see the evolution of Rey and Finn's relationship, especially. Yes. Because, of course, at the end of The Last Jedi, we see them come back together. But her lot has changed for both of them. And I think we'll start to see how that has influenced their friendship. Um, I'm sure they still get along, you know, like they have a very special friendship. But yeah, I'm sure it will play into certain secrets and things that maybe Ray isn't super forthcoming with at first. Uh, yes, for obvious reasons. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she goes on to say, and this is again about Ray and Finn, the great thing that JJ shows is you see a proper friendship, so it's not all like hunky-dory, she says. They're friends who clash sometimes, but also you have to be confident to have clashes with your friends and know that everything's going to be okay. And I'm really excited about that because there's going to be a greater depth to their friendship as a result of that. Yes. Um, because they're going to be... Ca- they're going to be sharing some heavy shit. They've both been through a lot since they last saw each other. Yeah. They didn't even get to speak in the last movie. So there's a lot of ground to cover. Yeah. No, I was really excited to see that quote from Daisy. And I feel like it's one of the more interesting things she said at this press event. Um, because, yeah, I always appreciate depictions of friendships, but especially depictions of friendships where 
they're more honest like that and they acknowledge that they can sometimes be a little bit rough and there's like a hard road to to cover as friends and yeah because I don't really think it's a particularly deep friendship if you never go for any like hardships together and there's never like disagreements or anything like that so I love that idea of them like acknowledging that and exploring the friendship on a deep level mm-hmm. and it shows the development of the characters as well in terms of their confidence and developing their own point of views and they've been through different things so their perspectives are going to be different yes so so it i would only feel right to explore that in the story a hundred percent and it goes on to say boyega echoes that sentiment Finn is undeniably brave in this movie, and that's because of the collaboration between himself and Ray and Poe. Then being all together was the magic of this movie. I really thank JJ personally for making that choice to bring everybody back together and go back to what Star Wars is, which is an ensemble. I think John is definitely more enthusiastic in these sorts of comments about how Finn is being explored in episode 9 as opposed to how he was about Finn in The Last Jedi. That's just a really strong vibe I get. It's a vibe I'm getting, but I'm also kind of confused by what he's using to back that up because Finn is very brave in The Last Jedi. Yeah. And what he does on Krayt is kind of the culmination of that. Um, Obviously, Rose saves him because it would have been in vain ultimately, but that's about him finding where he belongs and believing that there's something worth fighting for that's bigger than himself. Yes. um, And bigger than Rey. And also, just this last part about thanking JJ for making the choice to bring everybody back together, that really surprised me because I would have considered it totally expected. If you were asking me for my basic predictions for episode nine, way before we'd got any of this, and we probably talked about it at some point, of course they would be back together. Of course these characters would be spending lots of screen time together because that tends to be the way act three goes especially if you bring them back together at the end of Act 2. Yeah. No, it's not exactly shocking. Um, I, I guess it perhaps betrays the actor's lack of familiarity with like patterns and storytelling. I don't mean to sound condescending, but I, I really can't think of how else to read it because it does sound like genuine, like, well, this is how all stories should be. It's like, mm, not really. Well... <laughs> I mean, not every story in Act 3 would go that way, but if, especially if you're talking about Star Wars, it's like, well, yeah, that yeah. would make sense for Act 3 of a Star Wars movie. So just as Act 2 and Ryan's choices to separate the characters in some ways to test them and further on their development also makes sense. Yes. So I don't know how much of that was down to JJ's personal decision as opposed to just conventions of storytelling. Yeah. I mean, I'm excited to see these three characters together and... You know, especially like Ray and Poe don't really know each other, and depending on the time jump and how much they choose to tell in terms of the story between those times, uh, it'll just be interesting to see how close they are in comparison to like Ray and Finn or Finn and yeah. Poe. So. Yeah, I'm really curious about that. I really bet that that is going to be a big part of the gap filling for the journey to Episode Nine books as well. I would bet money on there being some sort of adventure with Finn, Ray, and Poe in that line of books and no rose ah no i did the thing no i i i think you might be right i'm probably not right but i don't don't want to be right (laughs) i don't want to i'm really 
I know I keep saying I'm trying not to be salty about this as mm. I continue to salt. Yeah. But... Although I'll tell you what I think they might do. I think they might have Rose gone an adventure with everyone else in the books, but then not doing the movie. And I'm not sure which would be worse. Mm, yeah, maybe. We'll see. We will see. Right. Okay, then the next thing we'd like to talk about is what Oscar has to say about the state of the resistance at the start of episode nine. Would you like to read out the quote, Kirsty? Yeah, so this is in context of what happened with episode eight. Um, he takes those lessons on. Where we start in episode nine is they're decimated. There isn't much of a resistance to even lead. So I think what they're trying to do is find allies, find anybody anybody they can that can help them, help their cause. It just feels like it's totally lost. As the film goes on, I think you start to see him really grapple with not only the lack of leadership, I mean Leia is gone, but also how do you be a leader when there doesn't seem to be anybody to lead? Mm. Yeah. This is quite telling to me on multiple levels mm. because I really thought they might show it as there being a significant rebuilding of the resistance between the end of The Last Jedi and the start of episode nine. Whereas this says to me that that is not the case. Yeah, again, I'm curious to see how they will announce the official time jump when they choose to and what the context there will be because this makes it sound like there is barely any time jump, you know? Yeah. So, or, or what have they been doing within that time and why have they failed to find allies in the meantime Yeah. Um, maybe those questions will all be answered but the most intriguing part of this for me and maybe this was obvious to some people and I just didn't want to think about it uh, mm -hmm. but he says Leia is gone yeah um, so there's obviously been a lot of mystery around how exactly they'll be using Carrie in the movie how much footage they had but I was kind of always under the impression that they had enough to sort of, you know, build an arc around her. Yeah. But this makes it sound like she'll be at the beginning of the movie and then kind of written out in a way. Yeah. And That's I'm curious kind of to see how that happens in a way. Well, I'm very curious to see how that happens in a way that feels true to Leia as a character because she wouldn't give up and walk away. Yeah. So what happens? Exactly. It I kind of feel like we talked ourselves out of this happening and then talked ourselves back into it. But I feel like I really think she might be dying in the film. Oh, okay. Oh, like, do you not think that? <laughs> well, uh, I don't want to think that. Like, I don't I thought... want to, but like, if it's a choice between that or she willingly departs from the resistance for whatever reason... I'm not sure I can buy that. I don't know. Right. That's that's my dilemma. I'm like, what happens? Because Leia doesn't give up. Yeah. Um, even at the end of The Last Jedi, she she feels defeated, but then she regains that strength when Luke arrives and and they get away. And yeah. at the end of the movie, she's very hopeful with Rey. So yeah. I guess we'll see. But um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it probably is what makes most sense. We've just been kind of in denial about it as a fandom because yeah. we don't want anything bad to happen to Leia. Um, but realistically, how much footage are they going to have? Because already what they showed in the teaser is quite clearly um, another take from the Leia and Rey hug at the end of The Force Awakens. They've obviously done a lot of work to it in terms of making them look different with their various outfits and hairstyles and stuff. Yes. But that looks like it could be a goodbye too. Yeah, exactly. God, it is really hard, isn't it? They were really were put in an impossible dilemma by 
Curry's passing. So I feel bad for them because, like JJ himself said in the panel, I think there is no good option, basically, in terms of what to do with that character. So I believe them when they say they found the best way of portraying Leia that they could. But it's just a question of whether by writing her out early, they were able to use footage of her and give her a presence in the film. But then by writing her out, however they do, they can then more freely explore that character through the other characters' relationships with her and their discussions about her and that sort of thing. I don't Mm. know. It's a shitty situation to be in. Yeah, we don't have the quote here, but I swear I saw it somewhere on social media. Um, The Oscar also said at one point that the characters are mourning together. Yeah. So, yeah, that would indicate that something happens to Leia. Yeah, it is tricky. <laughs> well, I, uh, yeah. the saddest thing is that we we don't get her arc. Yeah. I feel like Carrie would have done an amazing job of that. So Same. It's a shame. Just as we round out this section, I'd just like to give a shout out to Slimo, who is currently in the process of putting together a epic master list of interviews um, that emerged following the episode 9 panel at Star Celebration is an absolute beast of a task and yeah, no one but Slimo would have the guts to do it. So thank you Slimo. So let's finally move on to the main attraction which is the trailer for episode 9 which I'm sure is what everyone has been waiting for us to talk about after all this time because it certainly took us long enough. So yeah, we did a quick reaction podcast to it on the same day as the panel, um, but we wanted to talk about it again. Now we have a little bit of distance from it. Yeah, now you're a bit removed from it, Kirsty. What is your view on the trailer? How effective do you think it is? Um, I really enjoy a lot of what we see. I think it looks beautiful. Yes. The only thing I'll say is, and it might just be because we have less context for this at this point than we did for The Last Jedi's, but I prefer The Last Jedi's teaser in terms of the themes that it outlined. Uh-huh, sure. Um, I feel like this one is less clear. And I know yes. that the nature of a teaser is often, oh, here are a bunch of images that look impressive, because they still want to preserve a lot of the mystery. Yes. But I'm having a harder time building a cohesive understanding of the story. Oh, yeah, that's definitely true. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> it's not just me being dumb. <laughs> no, 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 that's not just you. It is very much like, here's a range of assorted images for you to look at and speculate about which, which is cool it's certainly one style of trailer but i think that the last jedi first teaser was trying to do something more concise so, i guess in yeah. in terms of it being similar to the last jedi's it still ends on a bit of a bombshell yeah um but of course the last jedi's it's time for the, the jedi to end uh it doesn't actually work out that way in the movie so you know, it's just good to kind of keep in mind that whatever they show us in a teaser doesn't necessarily outline the full message of a movie and it'll go that exact way. Yeah. We'll get way more context once we have a full trailer, once we have the Vanity Fair stuff, once we have more in-depth interviews. So right now it's just a little taste. Exactly. I agree. Um, yeah. And I think it's a really beautifully put together trailer in terms of the composition of the visuals and the music. Yeah, in that long take where you have Ray and presumably Kylo and his TIE fighter speeding towards her. Like I love that it held on that for so long. 
I really did think for the period that that was running, is this going to be the whole teaser? Just this one scene? <laughs> I, I would have been, been okay with that. That would have worked for me. But it probably would have pissed a whole lot of people off. So <laughs> I definitely think they made the right move in showing all the stuff they did. But um, yeah, like it is a really, really epic way to start it off. And oh, it's, it's very epic and striking. It is. Um, and I love how they use the music in the teaser as well. It was really, really beautiful and soaring. Yeah, and Luke's voiceover as well, which I'm not sure if I was expecting. Because again, obviously, it's similar to The Last Jedi's, but still positions him in that mentor figure way. Um, and yeah, I'm interested to see what part that will play in the movie, whether he's using the same dialogue for the movie. Obviously not all of it, because some of it's from The Last Jedi. Yes. Um, and there's been a lot of discussion in the fandom as to, is he talking to Rey? Is he talking to Kylo? Is he talking to both of them? Yeah, um, so many possibilities. My <laughs> yeah, my thoughts right now are that he's mostly talking to Rey, but that's just kind of based on what the teaser's suggesting to me. So, yes. Um, yeah, who knows? Exactly. I, I kind of like to think in my own headcanon that the first part, so we've passed on all we know, a thousand generations live in you now, but this is your fight. I like to think that's to Ray, and I like to think we'll always be with you is to Kylo slash Ben, or possibly Ben and Ray. But we will see. Um, because, yeah. Oh, I, I actually f I completely forgot that we'll always be with you was even in there. Yeah. This shows how many times I've actually watched this. <laughs> There's been a lot happening in both our lives, so it's perfectly reasonable. But yeah, I think it's probably lines from different scenes spliced together, as is usually the case in the sort of thing. And perhaps even mm -hmm. some stuff just done for the trailer, who knows. Um, but yeah, I like the ambiguity, and I love that whole concept of a thousand generations living you now. I think that's quite beautiful. And mm -hmm. It does also show that if that is to Ray, she's under a hell of a lot of pressure because, holy shit, I'm the last one, a thousand generations, oh no. I'd be freaking out if that were me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the case will be that she's not as alone as she thinks she is in that, but that's yeah. part of the journey, so... Um, I know there's also been all sorts of speculation as to if it really is Kylo in the tie, uh, I think it is. Yeah, same. I, I really think it would be way too big a hoodwink to be like, I was actually Poe! <laughs> I'm not sure why it would be anyone else or why Poe would have access to a tie. I have seen people legitimately speculating about that though, so I'm not that like wild in suggesting that. I do myself think it's pretty crazy, but it's where people's minds go. <laughs> huh. I'm just interested in why they think Poe would be rambling towards her at a tie that looks so pretty dangerous. Oh, he's training her, Kirsty. He's training her. Okay. I'm not, I'm not kidding. It's what people are saying. It's what the kids in the street think. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Okay, um, cool. Cool. I mean, the way that Ray flips, it doesn't look like she's going to completely clear it. It looks like she's going to land on top of it and... They obviously don't show like the resolution of that, but does the tie get damaged? Because we also had that behind the scenes shot of Kylo that looked like he'd like he was standing out in the desert. Yes. So presumably he gets out of the tie at some point. Yeah. No. So he definitely is on location in Jordan, and 
yeah, you'd assume that happens after the, the like jumping scene, but we will see. Uh, in terms of the music, the other interesting thing I wanted to comment on was how when the title appears, a lot of the musically inclined among us, like um, our friend Christy, um, they have pointed out that it's the first two notes of Kylo's theme and then it resolves in a major key. Is that correct? Because I'm very musically incompetent, so I was worried about uh, I I on. haven't read her meta yet, but I remember her saying it wasn't that simple. There's more going on there. Okay, wow. We should so maybe need I to have that... her on again. <laughs> well, yeah, I think that's been like what people heard at first, and then she explored it. And I know David Collins has as well. Mm. Um, so I don't think it's as simple as like, oh, it's the major version of Kylo Ren's theme. I think there's, there's other stuff happening in there too. So. Okay, cool. But yeah, I definitely want to investigate that more deeply because there's interesting stuff going on. Um, yeah, would we like to go into a shot-by-shot breakdown of the trailer at this point? Uh, yeah. I mean, do, do you mean like start back at the beginning with yeah. the first scene? Just oh. go through oh, okay. it a bit more carefully. Yeah. Okay. So we're just doing general impressions. Um, so yeah, obviously it starts off with the famous breathing that we've had at the start of every teaser for the sequel trilogy movies. So we had Finn heavy breathing in the Jakku desert at the start of the TFA teaser. Then we had Rey slamming her hand down on the rock and heavy breathing for The Last Jedi. And now we have Rey heavy breathing in the desert as she waits for that TIE fighter to turn up. So mm-hmm. it's beautiful poetry. <laughs> it rhymes. It's lovely. Um, and... Yeah, do you have a read on her emotions in this initial shot, Kirsty, when she's sort of like prepping herself? I think she looks a lot more composed than she did for the last Jedi teaser. Yes. Um, she's obviously anticipating something, but she looks kind of together and confident, and yeah, like she's preparing for it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think she looks good. She looks nervous to me, but is also sort of like a, I can do this. Yeah, exactly. Stance. There's a confidence there. Yeah, exactly. So she feels the fear, but she's able to control the fear and master it, which is a nice thing to witness. Then she obviously gets all battle ready and gets the lightsaber out as they cut to the TIE fighter, zoom in towards her, and we see the famous gloved hands who, yeah, the Hux, it's Hux's hands. Um, no, it's not as Kylos. Um <laughs> I bet uh, people who aren't necessarily involved with like online discourse are completely like, wait, what? Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> Basically, there was a thing after the final trailer for The Last Jedi came out where they show the shots of Kylo offering his hand to Rain. Some people interpreted that as Hux's hand. There are many complex reasons underlying that un- in- interpretation of the shot that I will not go into today. But that is what I was alluding to when I said that Hux's hands. So mm. you're welcome. Yeah, that was an interesting time. Yeah, that was f- a fun period in fandom. I liked it. Um, yeah, then we have that Leone shot, don't we, Kirsty, where we've got Ray's hip, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that does feel very Han Solo-esque. Yeah, which is really cool. Although it's kind of very much emphasising that she's the underdog in that situation. It's like, girl versus TIE fighter, who will win? But it probably will be Rey because she's just awesome like that. Well, and again, we don't know we don't have the context for it, so we don't know if this is a win-lose scenario. They're, ke- they're keeping it ambiguous here, right? Oh, very much, yeah. 
because he's flying towards her but not shooting her yes. so what's the goal here what what's either of them trying to achieve and like i said she jumps and it's a very impressive jump that i think must be kind of what we'd heard from people in terms of like oh ray does some stunts that are reminiscent of like the prequels choreography yes um but she doesn't look like she's going to clear it she looks like she's going to land on top of it yeah exactly so again what's that about yeah i've seen lots of different theories some people obviously interpret it as a combat situation i've seen other people interpret it as a training situation and yeah my kind of feeling is that and this is just spec slash theory on my part and i'm sure someone else has already said this um but as far as i know it's from my brain um i think that rain and kylo arranged to meet in this location so i think they're actually meeting i don't think it's like a force vision trippy thing and i think that kylo is just going there to talk to have a meeting whereas ray wants to slash up that ship and ground <laughs> him for good and she's pissed um so i think that he's probably come into the situation calmer and more resolved than she is whereas she is more feeling that anger and like how could you make that choice at the end of the last jedi um and that is just my spec take on it but we will see do you have a particular read of that situation slash a pet theory kirsty i i'm thinking pretty similar to you that mm-hmm. it's it's a showdown of sorts but they're not on the same page and they have to work through that miscommunication yeah um and it's going to be the setup for the evolution from there yeah um yeah i i i do like the idea of it being training but i also i'm, I'm not sure about that so yeah. and i kind of also feel like it's a very very specific thing to train for well, I, yeah, I mean, I, I want to see them kind of fight again, to be honest. Yeah, same. I want I want to see that rage. I want Ray to get that out. I think it could be cathartic. Yeah. Um, and they have a lot of stuff to work through together. So yeah. it makes sense to start out on something that's pretty antagonistic, given what happened last time they were together. Yeah, 100%. So I get the impression that whoever's piloting that tie, they're not there for a fight. But I definitely think Ray is there for a fight, basically. That's the vibe I get. Yes and no, because at the end of the day, he's still barreling straight towards her in a tie at top speed. Yeah, so... it's not very friendly, right? <laughs> it's, like, it's not like, hello! I mean, yeah, he's, he's not exactly being safe with her, so... No, you're right. So we, yeah, we don't have the context, so endless possibilities. Exactly. Then we cut to another shot, which seems to be of like a fantastical, like blue-tinged world covered in clouds it's very beautiful and there seems to be like a big bustling city and there's a ship flying towards it and it's basically just a beautiful scenic landscape shot with no context i is i think this might be the shot where some people have said the ship reminds them of the ship that dropped ray off on jakku is that mm-hmm. right yep that's what people are saying yeah i am not a ship expert so i can't comment on that it yeah. looks vaguely similar, but I don't know how many ships there are in that style in the galaxy. Yeah. So yeah, I'm not sure what to think about that. It could be like the equivalent of a Honda Civic or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, I, I saw fans pointing that out, and then I saw an article from Anthony Bresnikan a few days later. So yeah, it's become a popular theory. But, yeah. Uh, I don't think I'm, it's one I'm ready to subscribe to because I have no idea. Yeah, exactly. It's just too limited, but it's a beautiful shot. That's my main takeaway. Um, 
And then the next shot is of Kylo being a completely dope badass. Sure. (laughs) The dope badass, we all know he is. (laughs) I know that's what we both want for him, Kirsty. Just be Uh, a dope badass. No, actually it's not. (laughs) No, it's definitely not. Like, Kylo, stop being a naughty boy. Um, But it is a pretty epic shot, though. Do you agree? Oh, it's epic, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it looks very visually impressive, and I love the use of the crossguard in that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the colours are beautiful. Yes. Um, I've seen a lot of theorising that this... I've kind of assumed, actually, that these are the Knights of Ren that he's taking down. I don't think that. At least I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, we might get into why if we get to like a spoilery section later, but... yeah. It took me a while to work out what people were talking about when they were talking about the Knights of Ren and the teaser. I was like, yeah. wait, I must have missed that. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I'm not sure if this is them. Yeah, I think it seems more plausible to me that it's like just a native of the planet who's hostile to the First Order. Because it's also important to point out that in the background behind Kylo, there's a stormtrooper walking along and firing as well. So... Yeah, I don't think this is like the moment he turns or something. It's also important to remember that that is not the sort of thing they would include in this very, very early promo material. Because, yeah, it's just too dangerous. It tells you too much. Well, it it does if that's what you're assuming, that they are the Knights of Ren. But is that what we're supposed to take away from this? Or are we just supposed to not know who they are? Um... I don't think you're meant to take away that they're the Knights of Ren, no. So I think right. they included this because it's just a safe shot of Kylo being badass. I, d- I agree with exactly. you. I don't think yeah. it's the Knights of Ren. Right. Yeah. Um, right, then we have a shot of Kylo's helmet being repaired, <laughs> which gives me joy. because <laughs> Not by Kylo himself. Yeah, exactly, which is so important. I did a Tumblr post about this. But I was so happy it wasn't Kylo like please I think what intrigues me most is that this is being done after a time jump supposedly unless it's not actually in the movie itself yes because why would they take that long for him to get a new helmet what's going on (laughs) maybe it took a hell of a long time to find all those pieces on the supremacy (laughs) it's a long long salvage job yeah somehow I don't think that's going to be the explanation (laughs) no nor do I but it would be funny (laughs) Like And by the way, just the reason why it brings me joy to see this shot of someone else repairing Kylo's helmet is because I was genuinely afraid he would do it when he was Supreme Leader, which is just sad. But Kylo is sad. He he is, but there should be limits to it. No, nope. some... <laughs> He's the saddest boy in the galaxy. <laughs> and that includes soldering his helmet back together in his bedroom when he's Supreme Leader of the entire galaxy. Yeah, he has talents. <laughs> He can be crying while he's doing it. <laughs> I'm gonna repair it with my tears. I'm so surprised funny. they would even. I I didn't expect them to even show it being repaired, whether it was Kylo or not. Yeah. Because again, I assumed there'd be a time jump, and I assumed he'd just have it. Yeah. You know, just like he does at the end of the Last Jedi, mysteriously got it back from Starkiller Base that blew up, and he yeah. did not pick it up. Maybe so, episode nine will be like the be a... first Star Wars film to start with a recap of the previous, like however many months events. <laughs> mm. Month one, helmet is repaired. No, that'd be very dumb. Okay, yeah. and, then... and we've got we've gone into the symbolism before of what we think 
have repaired helmet like that with visible lines could mean. Yes. Um, it'll be interesting to see how long for the actual movie he's wearing it and mm-hmm. in what circumstance again it comes off because mm-hmm. we know it does. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. Yeah. They've actually been pretty light in terms of showing Kylo wearing the helmet. There hasn't been a single shot of him wearing it in any of the promo. It's all been maskless Kylo, which pleases me. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Right. Then the next shot seems to be John and Oscar in Jordan. And do you think John is holding Ray's staff there, or is it just another staff that kind of looks a bit similar? It looks like Ray's to me. Sweet. I love it. So, so I think at this point, they probably already separated and Ray's gone off to do her thing with Kylo. Yeah. Jumping over the tie. Um, and yeah, he's with Poe and Freepio, like that shot that we see later on as well. Yeah. No, which is cool. So they obviously have to split off at some point to do their thing. Um, and then we've got BB-8 and Dio, the new droid, who we haven't talked about yet at all, but is quite adorable. And I'm not sure how much there is to say about Dio, other than it's really cute. Yeah, it'll just be cool to see their dynamic. Exactly, yeah. Dio seems like a little baby, which I like. Um, then we have Chewie in Lando, in the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon, flying off through light speed. And Billy Dee looks so delighted to be there, doesn't he? It's lovely. Yeah, I loved hearing his laugh. That yes. was a moment moment of joy. Yeah, no, it was really, really great. That brought all those Lando fills back. I did wonder if they were going to use Lando in the similar way to how they used Han Solo at the end of that first proper trailer for The Force Awakens. But they didn't, and I feel like that was the right choice because I feel like they wanted to keep the emphasis on story more than, yay, nostalgia fills. Yeah, I don't think this would be the right time for that. I think enough... We've had enough of the sequel trilogy now for them to not just be cynically cashing in on, oh, hey, they're back. Yeah. You know, he's there and we know and we're obviously excited, but it's not the, the main pull. Yeah, they have to trust the new characters. Um, well, right. and Palpatine. And Palpatine, yeah, that's true. They don't completely trust the new characters, unfortunately. <laughs> um, right, then we have Poe, Finn and Freepio on a skiff, I think. Again, it seems to be on the sand planet. And they're under fire, so it's a high drama moment. It has a very Mad Max Fury Road feel. I love yes. it. Yes. No, 100%. Is that like high octane action stuff going on? And I really like how Freepio is getting much more involved with the action because I feel like in the sequel trilogy so far, Freepio's job has just been to stay at the base. Whereas, yeah, he's definitely much more mobile now. Yeah, I was wondering, do you have a sense of this stuff being like Act 1, Act 2? Because again, it looks like this is when they're separated from Rey, but still on that desert planet. Yeah. Um, we got that separate shot that they showed as a, as a still behind the actors at the panel of like this festival thing going on on that planet. Yeah. So is it is it Finn and Poe who encounter that rather than Rey? Um, I just don't have any sense of the timeline yet, and I was wondering if you did. I feel like all the sand planet stuff is going to have to be really quite early, possibly earlier than we expected, because they're showing so much of it, and I really don't think they would show so much of Jordan and the sand planet, whatever it is, if it was like spoilery or for like significantly later in the film. Obviously, I know they're showing us things about context that we can't figure out what's going on anyway, but my bet at the moment would be maybe towards the end of act one slash early act two hmm okay 
Because there was another interview that Oscar did. Oh, I think it was the one with Steele. Mm -hmm. um, When they showed the picture of... The last picture that JJ posted on the last day of filming. And Steele was asking him about it. And he was like, oh, actually, that's not from the last day of filming. That's from our last day of filming in Jordan. And I was on set for about a month after that. Right. Okay. Interesting. So... Uh, yeah, in terms of Poe being around for like another month of filming after that, maybe this would be... I don't know. I, I, I'll be interested to see how big a part Wadi Rum plays yeah. in, the, in the movie. 100%. So we also know that Oscar wrapped at least a few weeks before everyone else did. So, yeah. It's very difficult to know what to draw from it because obviously they don't always shoot in order and everything. They shoot approximately in order, I think, but not always. So mm. all will come out. Um, yep. Yeah, then we have the shot of someone handling a medal, and I felt like a um, bad Star Wars fan for not realizing it, but it's one of the medals that the heroes are given at the end of the original Star Wars. Oh, that's the only thing I figured it could be. Yeah. No. Like once I realized, I felt dumb for not cl- clicking that immediately, but. Yeah, I think this is like, there's so much. So presumably it's hands and it's Leia holding it. Yeah, no, I, I think looking at those hands, I kind of like figured that they did not belong to, say, Ray, but they're clearly a woman's hands. So for process of elimination, I'm going to say Leia. And it makes sense because Leia would have the most emotional connection out of all the remaining characters to that kind of object. Mm-hmm. And because it's like just before we get that hug between her and Ray. Yes. So seems like it might be connected in terms <laughs> of how she chooses to leave the story. Exactly. They might just be trying to clue us into something. Um, yeah. And that shot of Ray and Leia hugging, that's obviously very powerful and beautiful. It's a real tearjerker. Um, I think they've done a good job of making it look quite new and fresh. Yeah, but- because her she's wearing the jet the the jewelry from the last jedi yes and her hair looks similar to that too but the outfit looks different i know we don't get an amazing look at it but it does look different from either movie oh it does yeah sort of like a maroon thing isn't it yeah with a gray like jacket kind of thing over the top yeah um so yeah it looks seamless so they, they must have had someone else standing in for her wearing the outfit and then they've like cg'd it to an extent yeah but it doesn't look creepy or too artificial or anything which is quite a credit to them because it could have easily looked a bit Mm. yeah well that's why i was side-eyeing a little bit in the panel when jj was like oh we're not doing any cg i'm like you would have to do some cg for this kind of thing yeah you just mean you're not like artificially inserting a fake layer in there but that's It's a little bit more complicated than that. Yeah. I feel like the only thing about Leia that's not going to be CG'd in some way is probably her face. <laughs> Which is the most important thing, but yeah. They're blending various looks that she's had over the course of the movies. Um, so, yeah. Exactly. And there's obviously a scene of high emotion because they make a point of showing Ray getting all teary-eyed and emotional and Leia looks like she's been a great comfort to her. But... Again, impossible to say what's going on and why Ray is so distressed in that moment. Yeah. I mean, like we said earlier, I think it could be a goodbye of some kind. Mm. So. You mean Leia saying goodbye to Ray? Well, both of them. 
Yeah. Like, if this is just before Ray departs for the mission with Finn and Poe, yes, then then they're both saying goodbye. Yeah. And again, this is pure spec, but say that Kylo did contact Ray in some way to say we should meet here, and then Leia knows that Ray is going off to see his son, to see her son. I think that would perhaps give some more context and emotional weight to that moment as well. God, maybe it would be really interesting for Leia to actually have some awareness of their relationship at this point. Oh my god, oh, the feels. It would be nice for someone to. Yeah, no, <laughs> especially it's... someone who's force sensitive. And presumably a little bit more understanding than Luke was. Yeah. <laughs> you can only hope, can't you? <laughs> um, yeah. Then we get to that epic, epic shot of the heroes. So Ray, Finn, Poe, 3PO, Chewie, and the droids. Whew, that was a lot. Um, and they're all looking out across the ocean. And they're looking at the husk of the second Death Star. Or what I assume to be the second Death Star. It's certainly a big roundy thing that has been mightily destroyed. And yeah, then it leads into that laugh, the famous, famous Palpatine laugh. Yeah, so this is interesting because remember a while back, Peter at Slash Film was tweeting about how you need to look at the TFA concept art if you want a clue for what's going on in Nine. Yes. This has this has to be what he was referring to. I don't know how solidly he knew about it, but yeah. the Death Star in the water was explored as an idea for that movie. Yeah. Um So that and what it makes me wonder is like, okay, so are they on Endor? Where yeah. would the Death Star fall if not Endor? Yeah. No, I think it makes a great deal of sense. It also reminds me of something that came out in a Star's News Net report seemingly a lifetime ago. And that mentioned one of the planets being revisited in the sequel trilogy would be like Endor or the moon of Endor to be pedantic. Because, yeah, I can't think of where else it would be logical for the like remains of that station to fall. Um, and yeah, it's really interesting as a concept because when the big super weapon goes boom, you don't think, okay, what happens to the superstructure of that? What happens to the physical remains? And to actually have the heroes rediscover it and presumably find out that there's something still tethered to it in some way, i.e. Palpatine. That's really, really fascinating to me. So it's a very cool idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a very striking image. And yeah, it's just a really sublime, powerful, beautiful shot. I love it. I love shots of like people standing on cliff edges and staring at momentous scenery. It's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the way it looks. Yeah, it's got a lovely quality to it. So I know that was one of your fears, actually, Kirsty, for the episode nine, because I know you loved the visual style of Ryan Johnson in The Last Jedi so much, and you were kind of afraid about JJ being a little bit more safe or pedestrian, I guess. Like, obviously, I know we it's... haven't got the full movie, but do you feel a little bit more like, okay, I can see interesting visual stuff going on? It's really hard to explain because I'm not a filmmaker. I do think that JJ produces beautiful images, but yeah. isolated shots. Yeah. And the visual tone of Ryan's cinematography is actually quite different. Sure. No, I agree with that. So, so it's hard for me to explain because I don't have the terminology. I don't make movies. Uh, I don't know what I'm talking about, essentially. But there's just a very strong uh, idiosyncratic, I guess, visual style that, that Ryan uses that just seems innate, whereas... JJ 
Sometimes his shots are quite strange choices in terms of the composition. This is beautifully done, and there are plenty of gorgeous shots from The Force Awakens. I would never dispute that. Yes. Um, but overall, as a movie, I think The Last Jedi is more interesting to look at. No, that's completely fair. So can we talk about the use of No One's Ever Really Gone as a setup to Palpatine's laugh? <laughs> yes, we can definitely Cause... talk about that. <laughs> Thanks, I hate it. That's the only thing about this trailer that you really hate though, right? Yeah, and I'm I'm saying hate. I don't hate anything Star Wars related. Yes. But I it doesn't sit right with me. And this probably isn't a big deal for a lot of people. It obviously isn't to the people who composed this teaser. Yes. Uh, hopefully, hopefully it's not a big deal to Ryan. Yes. But uh, that line to me is really beautiful and poignant in The Last Jedi. Has a very quite specific meaning to the characters of Luke and Leia reuniting and talking about her son still having goodness in him even after all that's happened. Yes. And giving Leia that hope back. And this twists it. And obviously that's a conscious choice, but it seems quite cheap to me. Yeah. Um. And it's like, oh, oh, yeah, see, no one's ever really gone because we're bringing back the supervillain. It's like, that's the exact opposite meaning. That's grimdark. Like, you're obviously playing it for laughs in terms of shock value. It works. Oh, my God. I bet you anything there was, like, a marketing meeting with the marketing team for episode nine. And, like, it was all people, like, throwing ideas out there and being like, okay, voiceover, voiceover. What are we can do for the voiceover? So like, okay, we've got these cool epic lines from Luke in The Last Jedi. Which ones can we use here? And someone's like, I know. No one's ever really gone, but we make it about Palpatine. And everyone's going like, it's brilliant. I love it. And if you were in that room, you'd be like, no, stop it. Stop it now. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, not to take Star Wars too seriously, because at the end of the day, it's Star Wars, but like... That's a really important line in that movie. And yes. it's delivered quite seriously. Uh, it's it's at the point where Luke has regained his confidence and his belief in the goodness in his nephew, even as he's lost him and doesn't feel like he's the one who could bring him back. Yeah. Uh, but, God, this seems horrible. <laughs> I'm, sorry, I'm sounding really negative right now. I love a lot of the teaser. This is like the one thing that I'm like, Ugh. Yeah. Yeah, so are there any like closing remarks, like summative thoughts that you'd like to give on the trailer and like particular moments you'd like to highlight is like the wow bits for you? Uh it was really the opening that wowed me because yes. you know, like we said, it's an amazingly long sequence for a teaser, but there's a lot to unpack there and this is to us is like the central question of episode nine. How is their relationship going to evolve after what happened to The Last Jedi? Um, yes. so all of it's intriguing honestly but I think this because they drew so much attention to it it's like what do they want us to think about here um, what's happening between these two characters is there something more mystical going on that's not quite clear at first um, yeah there's, there's a lot of stuff there yeah no like I agree I think that moment was the real highlight for me I did also love that Palpatine laugh so much, especially when Ian came out on stage to really, really bring it home for anyone who might have been left in doubt, because some people were left in doubt, um, that yes, Palpatine is back. 
Um, because yeah, I really love that character, and I think he's easily the best villain in Star Wars. So I'm not counting Darth Vader because that's almost too easy, you know. Um, and I think he just luxuriates in being evil, and I'm really glad to see him back for the sequel trilogy. And I'm really intrigued and excited to see how they use his character. Yeah, I'm intrigued as to how he's going to be used in a different way from Snoke, because c- clearly. Yes. Snoke was killed because they, well, the way that Ryan phrased it was that it was about these younger characters and how it would just be them now because Luke's gone, Snoke's gone, it's about this young generation. But to then bring Palpatine back, it's like, well, what's that going to offer that's different? So he's clearly a villain who's more relevant to someone like Anakin's story. Like, Snoke didn't know Anakin, even though, of course, he idolised Vader and wanted to use that um, as a weapon for Kylo. But uh, I'm just it's interesting because it's like okay we dispatch one older villain who takes advantage of the younger generation and then we bring one back so how how yeah. do you do that in a way that doesn't feel redundant yeah no it's really interesting what I hope and want to see is a Palpatine who is trying very hard to take advantage of the younger generation but they have the tools and confidence necessary to resist him and to like stand together to fight him. Yeah, but isn't that what we saw with Snoke and the Throne Room? I guess it is, but it would be a kind of different slant on it because we would never see that sort of relationship there that we had with Kylo and Snoke. Because with Kylo and Snoke, it was sort of like Kylo was breaking the chains of bondage by going against Snoke. And I think the dynamic with Palpatine would be quite different because... Palpatine doesn't just represent Kylo's master who turned him to evil. Palpatine represents the evil that's been like haunting the Skywalkers basically since his grandfather was a young child. Possibly since his grandfather was like a freaking fetus, depending on which theories you believe. And yeah, I think it's about representing a very different type of evil and hopefully having the characters be more aware of that from the outset rather than having to sort of wake up to what that evil is and why it needs to be destroyed which is kind of the story with Kylo and Snoke. I know that might sound too similar to some people but I think depending on the execution and how it's portrayed it could feel really distinct and allow them to explore some really interesting themes especially that stuff around legacy that we were talking about earlier yeah so optimistically that's what i hope for that it will feel different it's just right now i'm a little like huh okay so you, you got rid of snoke and then you yeah. brought about palpatine but um yeah there, there could be all sorts of ways that they present that differently yeah there is potential for it to be lazy and cheap a hundred percent but i really hope it isn't <laughs> i know we both hope it isn't but i perhaps have more optimism that it will be like something fresh well it's just that we have so little context for now because all we have is that laugh we don't know if he's in a physical body uh there are all of these things from the extra material especially the aftermath trilogy that palpatine had these various contingency plans for what would he would do if the empire failed and he died so it's like exactly what way is he going to be there well that will have different implications for the story too depending on how they execute that yeah no you're completely right and to be honest it's even a big assumption that Palpatine will be the big bad of the right. film it could be a bit of a fake out and he could actually be relatively minimal or just about adding background or flavour and 
who knows what's actually going on with the main evil force. But yeah, we will see. He's certainly been presented as the main threat at this point, but that could easily be misdirection. Okay, right. So I think that finally brings us to the end of all the nine stuff. Um, because yeah, boys are a lot to talk about. Um, we won't be able to dwell on it super long, but there is some spoilery stuff that I really, really wanted to get into because it's very interesting and raises lots of cool questions and ideas. And yeah, I felt it would be wrong to just ignore it. So yeah, here is the spoiler siren. I shouldn't. Do it. So the first of these leaks is from Jedi Paxis, who's a moderator on the Star Wars Leaks subreddit. And I'm personally placing quite a lot of stock in this because Jedi Paxis has had lots of reliable leaks in the past. So he was the first person to post a description of Kerry Russell's character, for example, and that was later proven to be correct. And he also had the first photo leak from episode nine. Like all this stuff having been provided to him by a source. So he clearly has genuine sources. That doesn't in itself guarantee that this information is 100% correct. But I think it gives it a lot more credibility than the average thing that's posted to Reddit. Like how would you advise people approach this kind of leak, Um, I think I'm a little more sceptical than you. But only because I tend to be sceptical of most leaks. So what I sure, totally yeah. agree that this guy's history means that he's probably more trustworthy than others. So I, I'm definitely yes. keeping it in mind. And it fits with my yeah. reading of the story anyway. So there's a healthy dose of confirmation bias. A hundred percent, yeah. <laughs> but um, not taking it as gospel. Like, I think that's the healthiest route. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's fair. Um, right. So... I'll read out like bits of this report from Jedi Paxis and then we'll stop at appropriate intervals to discuss. So, a trusted source has come through once again with some new details on what we may be seeing in episode 9. Some of what you're about to read and see may or may not be a bit controversial with some groups of fans. Right, so the first thing that is reported in this leak is... When we pick up with Kylo's story in episode 9, he's still struggling between the light side and the dark side. In addition to this, he's also dealing with how to reconcile his feelings toward Rey. My source specifically referred to these feelings as a love for Rey. Okay, pause. So, like, this is like the ultimate confirmation bias thing. Because this feeds pretty much perfectly into my understanding of the character and where he was left at the end of The Last Jedi and how he would be feeling towards Rey in this movie. And yeah, so it's the sort of thing I want to believe. And yeah, I like it. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, I like it a lot. Um, yeah, like I guess it's pretty much stating the obvious in terms of our read of the story, isn't it, Kirsty? Yeah, because this is what we would have predicted, that he's struggling. Yes. He still has the conflict in terms of the light and the dark. And now he has that added conflict of, oh, I messed up here and I actually care about her. Um, yeah. And how to reconcile that because they're enemies once more. So that's yes. the heart of the story. Like that's kind of where we thought it was going. So it's tempting to just be like, oh, yeah, totally believe this 100%. Yeah. 
exactly it's almost too easy um but yeah like it's nice to see this sort of leak referring to it as love explicitly because i believe that the moderator who posted this like i think moderators generally try to be somewhat impartial um but i think this person fair enough like has expressed that they're not like a huge fan of Raylo as a concept so i think that as well makes me more interested it makes my ears perk up when i hear something like this because i don't know if this were from like a shipper i'd still consider it and give it weight but would very much be like is this a report that's crafted around what you want from the story which i don't think is a factor in this sort of report. yeah i think he's quite clear that this is what he's heard so unless yes. the person he heard it from is a real shipper but perhaps yeah who yeah, knows but <laughs> You know, I think with any leak, because you're hearing it through is a game of telephone, there's going to be some element of how that person chooses to report it in there. Like, remember after The Last Jedi came out before any of us saw it? I don't know how you were, whether you were looking at the leaks, but the way certain things were described, it was based on that person's understanding of the story. So, yeah. I do remember seeing some like leaks from the last jedi that were like it's horrible for raylo it's the worst thing like and that sort of thing which is quite fascinating in retrospect so i can understand why someone would say that but that's not my takeaway from it yeah and even the luke stuff yeah. it was like oh he was killed by kylo which is not not how yeah. i read the story at all so it really depends no, on who's exactly. reporting it but i think this person is trying to be unbiased they have like a disclaimer in there that they're asking people on all sides of that debate because they know it's controversial to pause take a deep breath and be careful before they comment so that things remain civil um yeah so you know they're they're trying to report it in what seems a calm and objective way so yeah which is to be appreciated. So yeah, that's good. Um, right, and then they continue. Kylo either seeks out or is summoned by a new character that is being referred to by my source as the Oracle. My source could not confirm this for sure, but it's under the assumption that the swamp environment that the Oracle is found in is on the forested planet seen in previously leaked set photos. He, she is also under the impression that the spider, spider-like creature... Oh, sorry, I need to describe it. Um... And yeah, basically, it's not explicitly described because in the leak they include a mock-up illustration of what the Oracle looks like. And it's very bizarre. If you're interested, I can only recommend that you go and find the original leak, which I'll try and link to in the notes. Um, It basically looks like a giant elven baby that's purple. And then on top of the baby's head, there's this monstrous-looking spider-type thing that kind of looks parasitical and it has a gross frowny face and two eyes that is sort of like bugging out at the sides do you think that's a fair description Kirsty? yeah i mean the the what people keep calling the baby almost looked like a kind of pig creature to me because it has like that snout <laughs> yes i see it. yeah so yeah. I, I don't really know what to make of it right now but i guess that's not the most important thing this is a very out there yeah. design that i'm impressed with because you know, there was stuff in The Last Jedi that seemed off the wall, and I want episode nine to have its weirdness too. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm just interested to see again how, like how this is going to factor into like Palpatine stuff, if at all. Like, is this Oracle going to be what warns people that the Palpatine stuff is there? Yeah, 
Uh, could easily be that. And then, of course, he says um, the oracle is found on the forested planet seen in previously leaked set photos, which presumably is what we see uh, of that planet in the teaser when Kylo's taking down those whether you think it's Knights of Ren, whether you think it's resistance soldiers or just natives of that planet, he's taking down someone and it's it's, it's got that red colour and uh, it's forested. So I would assume that's yeah. what they're talking about. Yeah, and that could easily be the first time we see Kylo in the film on that planet battling his way through to get to the Oracle. Um, and yeah, I love the creature like of course it's difficult even though it's a very detailed illustration it's difficult to imagine how it might be realized in live action because it is so so strange but i love that it's so strange and that they would go to such a far up place with the creature design so yeah yeah i really hope it comes to fruition it's the kind of thing that sounds fake because it's so weird but star wars has all this weird stuff that if you describe it sounds absolutely bizarre and unlikely so yeah and I also kind of have the feeling that your average faker, they wouldn't even have the imagination to come up with anything quite this strange if they were just pulling something out of their ass. <laughs> like normally when people post fake leaks, it's like, oh, there's going to be a Twilight general or it's going to be a Mon Calamari person or something, you know, something we've seen before. So I think to come up with something so very weird and new and different, that also is like a mark in its favour to mm-hmm. me. Um. Yes, and yeah, they clarified that he/she is also under the impression that the spider-like creature is somehow parasitic, leeching off the unconscious, slumbering giant baby elf. Look at me below. That's disgusting. I'm sorry. Just. To, I know it's really, really gross. Um. And yeah, there's something fascinating about that. So it does. Like, as an image, it does evoke, like, a generational thing to me. You know, like, this ancient, withered creature that's leeching off the fresh, innocent life of this, like, creature, of this young thing. And I know that's horrible and gross-sounding, but as a concept, I think it's really interesting, and it could have a lot to tie into with regards to what's going on with the sequel trilogy, more generally, in terms of that corruption of innocence. And yeah, stuff. I mean, does it mean that this oracle is a benevolent or malevolent force? Is he going to tell Kylo yeah. the truth, or is he going to tell some horrible, twisted version? Yeah, exactly. It's like, is it actual wisdom, or is it a distortion? So, yeah. I really hope we hear more about this oracle thing, to be honest, because I would love to get more context on it, but... Hopefully we get in the movie and yep, then won't need leaks to go on because it'll just be there to look at and experience. Yeah, I wonder if now that we have some official stuff out, it will kind of allow people to have the freedom to bring the more trustworthy stuff. Because there's been a lot of suspect stuff and stuff that ultimately has been proven wrong. So Yeah. Cough to Mary Black. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Sorry, no one would remember that apart from me and like two other people. But oh, fine. I know you were invested in that um, guy because he's the one who said about Hux, like going with the resistance and stuff, right? Which seemed really interesting. <laughs> yeah, I quickly stopped being invested in him when he like went down the map. Oh girl. yeah, sure. But before that, he had some interesting ideas that could have been cool. Yeah, no, he did. I was quite earnest in my defense of Timberry Black for a while. So I was like, "You let me down. You let me down." <laughs> Okay, cool. 
Right, and then the second thing we want to talk about is that we have a report from Making Star Wars, which is on some interesting visual depictions of the Force fights with Rey and Kylo. Like, sorry, I talk about that like that's a known thing, but yeah, basically Jason from Making Star Wars is saying that there is going to be a saber fight and that things are going to get really trippy with it. Uh, so yeah, would you like to talk people through the leak, Kirsty? And you can stop at opportune times for us to discuss. Yeah, so basically he says, but essentially when Rey and Kylo Ren first meet again in the Rise of Skywalker, they've both become considerably more powerful. Perhaps when angry or determined, they can do what Snoke did for them, link to one another, but because of the context, the outcome is different. Instead of intimate moments, the backgrounds appear to change between places we have seen in Star Wars before. From what I understand, they end up back where they started, and Kylo does something after the encounter, which I'll talk about soon, I hope. So, I'm guessing that last part means Mm. that Kylo actually does something that's pretty pivotal for the plot, and Jason wants to save that for another time, because that probably deserves an article in its own right. Yeah. I have seen informed spec from people that he it, the thing that Kylo might do is call a truce, which I think sounds very, very plausible and very interesting if that is what happens. When you say informed spec, do you think that they have more information than we do? I don't think so. I, I think it's just... Like, informed as in it's riffing oh, off I this. Oh, I see. Okay. So it's informed by this. Right. Yeah, sorry, I don't mean additional information. Okay. Yeah, what do you think about that idea? No, I think it's totally possible, especially if it's in the context of what we've seen in the teaser. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I've, I think this, again, kind of ties back to what JJ's original visions or ideas for The Force Awakens were in terms of like Rey touching the saber and then being transported through time to various moments when that saber or all the Skywalkers made pivotal choices. Yes. So, like for example, when she goes into the corridor, originally she was going to see Luke and Vader fighting. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't get that now, and the the vision is a lot more kind of impressionistic and. Uh, I guess yeah. relates more to her and Kylo. But Yeah. No, I'd love to see something like that. I think it could be so well done and so interesting. What I'd like to see is if they do flash back through these like pivotal historical moments, like to what extent would they actually be interacting with those moments? You know? Or would it just be like a literal physical backdrop but they wouldn't actually see things play out in the past? You know, so would they be going to Mustafar briefly, but there would be no one else in the background of Mustafar. It would just be them fighting against volcanoes for a couple of seconds until it flashes to something else. Or would they be fighting and then in the distance they'd see Anakin and Obi-Wan Ooh, fighting? Something like I that. really hope it's just them. I think the location yeah. itself is enough to remind people of what happened there and what the meaning of that is for Rey and Kylo. If if you have yeah. people, from, I feel like it would be a bit too much. If, if you start splicing in moments from a movie that was filmed in the eighties or even the early two thousands, <laughs> that could look really bad. I'm just gonna be honest. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> no, I agree with you. The locations are I enough because <laughs> they're so iconic, and it clearly, like, you know, we all know the story of the Skywalkers. We know what happened in these in these moments. So. It's a really neat 
clean way of tying in the rest of the saga without having to have exposition, without having to have the characters actually yeah. talk about it. Yeah. No, so it could be really visually beautiful if it's done well and it's well judged, but it could also be cringe and embarrassing if it's not either of those things. <laughs> yeah, they need to be careful, basically. Well, I mean, that's like anything, right? It, you know, you'd have all these ideas, but on paper they can sound great, and then I, I trust that JJ would make a far better movie than I ever could, so... <laughs> Oh yeah, no, hundred percent. Not not to diminish your potential as a director. But when I'm like, well, I hope he will do a good job with that. It's like, how fucking condescending do I sound? <laughs> with no grounds for that at all. From my position of great expertise and experience in the filmmaking industry, yeah, no, you need to fine. shut up, really. Don't you're I? allowed to have an opinion on filmmaking? Yeah, but there's also stuff that doesn't need to be said. Well, I hope it looks good and not bad. <laughs> Yeah, like I think the reason like I just make that point is because I know that they threw out that idea as a concept for The Force Awakens and they obviously threw it out for a reason and it's either because they felt it wasn't appropriate for that piece of storytelling and for what they wanted to achieve in that moment or they felt eh, maybe it's a bit hokey but it's sort of like a learning thing and if they felt it might look hokey then and they're now revisiting it then they can think about okay how can we execute this in a way where it looks really well, cool I think it's also about the evolution of Rey's story and how intertwined she's become with the Skywalkers because at that moment she hadn't met any of them all she'd yeah. done is she'd heard myths about Luke she didn't even realise he was a real person and she'd met Han sure yeah. but like in regards to the force aspect that was her first encountering Kylo Ren in that vision so I think it works well what they decided to do then but I think the idea is also really intriguing at this point now that she is very much connected with them and has this intense relationship with the Skywalker of this trilogy so so yeah I think it makes sense now yeah no I agree with you that's a really good point Right. Okay, so then Jason goes on to talk about what various sources have told him about this big fight between Ray and Kylo. And he says this, One source that told me about what they filmed in Jordan mentioned Kylo and his TIE fighter and Ray in a Wild West standoff. We pretty much saw that in the trailer. That person also said that Ray damages the TIE and we see Kylo walking away from the TIE in flames which was also mentioned by behind the scenes real viewer and we can testify to that so we saw that um although actually i'm not sure we saw that yeah i guess maybe they're referring to something else because they showed a behind the scenes reel at one of the stockholder things right that, i think that's a different thing what we saw was kylo in the desert but we didn't see like the flaming tie behind him or anything we've just assumed yeah. that it's linked yeah no you're absolutely right the source said things get trippy when they first clash right so that's interesting in terms of it lends credence to the idea that the standoff we see in the trailer is a physical encounter and that it is like hostile to some extent because Ray isn't there to like pat the TIE fighter on the back and say hey Kylo it looks like she's there to like mess it up basically and do some damage which is like well fair enough after everything that's happened I'd be a bit angry too um, and yeah it sounds pretty cool flaming tie fighter in the desert i want to see it yeah it's a really interesting reversal and evolution of the force connection because it means that they're in person and then the force connection gets used to transport them together rather than being like can i see can you see my surroundings i can't see yours but they're going to be in the same place together but also using that force connection so it's really cool that jj's putting his own spin on it 
Yeah, same. I like to think that when JJ said he was grateful to Ryan for lots of things, that the false connection stuff is one of those things. Because it is such a cool idea. And I like that he's going forward. Oh, yeah. And I, I think that to an extent, JJ did set that up himself um, with the interrogation. It was just in terms of how it would be executed. Yeah, exactly. He sort of took it through to its like full potential. Mm-hmm. Um. Yep. And then there's just another final little bit I'd like to mention. And this is from yet another of Jason's sources. Now I have another set of sources that have told me about the flash fights, but they said that Ray and Kylo team up against that outside threat I talked about several months back. The person is in a black robe and cloak. Mm. I assumed it was Snoke, Plagueis, and even Palpatine. Back then I was investigating Matt Smith, but no one would touch Palpatine back then, which was telling. And yeah, like there's some other stuff as well, but I feel like that's the critical point that there's long been these rumours of Rey and Kylo teaming up to face something together. And yeah, I like it. I do. I do too, because it sounds like they they discover this power that they have together through an antagonistic context between the two of them. And then later on in the movie, they're using it together to team up against someone greater, you know, um, kind of what JJ was telling us in the teaser panel. So thanks JJ. You gave it all away. (laughs) Yeah. Gave it to us on a plate. It's very nice. Um, but yeah, that's actually a really good point. I I think my brain is shutting down, so I hadn't thought about that. But it's really cool that they'd discover this power when fighting against each other. And then be like, okay, how can we use this when working together to actually defeat something that is much worse? Yeah, and I, I think that is quite a wonderful statement on Rey and Kylo's dynamic. That yes, they are opposed in these different ways. Um and but have equal levels of strength which was established in the last jedi um and working together they can do something so much more powerful so yeah no absolutely it's really cool and yeah i really like both these leaks to be honest the oracle one and what jason's reporting about the flash mm-hmm. fights and i do like the idea that the oracle tells kylo something in terms of like you should go and talk to her like maybe it's like a relationship. Oh my god! <laughs> um, <laughs> the galaxy's creepiest relationship counselor, um, which would be really funny though. They obviously won't do that, but they could do something like about he's counseling her about him about Ray. Like that seems likely, given that Kylo's apparently going to this thing saying, "Oh, I have these feelings. I don't know what to do with them." Um, and yeah, I could see like the encounter with Ray somehow falling into prediction or something that the Oracle made. And then when Kylo realises that symmetry or parallel or whatever, he's like, oh, holy shit, I should probably do this thing that was recommended to me. But then, like, they need to handle it carefully, so I want to make sure the characters are shown to have free will rather than just being directed by creepy symbiote spider I think it would be more likely that Kylo could go under a different pretense and then because the Oracle is all-seeing, all-knowing, he senses that in Kylo and brings it up separately. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. I I really like can't that. see Kylo going to someone else to confess his feelings for Rey because at this point, if he's <laughs> battling it within himself, he's not ready to admit that. Yeah, no, you're right. But you're much better I at this mean, human psychology Who knows? Again, it can go so many ways. This stuff might not even be true. We're both just spitballing here, so... 
Yeah, exactly. I love the thought of Kylo just like lying down on a therapist. Oh, that's what he needs. Just, like, this monster talks to him. Yes, but <laughs> he's not going to get it because he doesn't know what's good for him. So. Oh my god, that'd be amazing. Desperately needs some therapy. Spider that boy. monster thing. Yeah, poor lad. He'll figure it out in the end. It'll be yeah, fine. it's probably just going to become within an inch of death. <laughs> <laughs> And our hearts will be broken until they're pieced back together again, soldered back by a monkey hand, <laughs> like Kylo. Yes, I want I want the audience to cry totally over funny. Kylo Ren's fate. So, yeah, no, same. If they can achieve that, then well, they've achieved something great. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I think that finally brings us to the end of this mammoth mammoth episode. I'm not sure we've ever done an episode this long. Maybe um, back in the day. Early days, yeah. but not for a long time. Yeah, not for a long, long time. But we definitely had enough to cover. I feel like there's still a lot of stuff we haven't really talked about. <laughs> but yeah, I feel like we've covered the most important and the biggest things, which I'm satisfied with. Yeah, we with. just wanted to get to these spoilers because they're a few weeks old now and it's really easy for things to get lost in the shuffle of all the celebration content. We've got new books coming out and before we know it, we're going to have the Vanity Fair stuff. So whether these spoilers pan out or not they could be total bs it's still worth discussing because it's it's the stuff that's coming out now just as things are potentially leaking that could be legit especially now like you know if jason's saying this stuff ties into what we now know is palpatine so that would be the threat that they're they're working together against so it's it's a little more trustworthy than it has been in the past Exactly. I feel like things are going to firm up a bit as we go forward now because yeah, there's less room for transparent bullshit at this stage. Mm-hmm. So if you made it this far, thank you so much. Um, we absolutely appreciate your dedication and hope you enjoyed hearing our thoughts on everything. Um, I'm Rachel. You can find me at Star Wars Nonsense on Tumblr and at Journal of the Star Wars on WordPress. Where can people find you, Kirsty? I am Bastila Bay on Tumblr and Scavengers Horde on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, bye! Bye!